listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Gunslingers are back in town, baby. <laughs> the saloon doors have been open, and I'm not wearing any pants. So we know we know we just, are back. <laughs> just chaps. Yes. Who needs to carry a gun when you have the flesh pistol? Yes. Uh, whatever that means. <laughs> flesh pistol. Flesh, flesh bazooka. Don't be modest. The Winchester, baby. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, we are back. The original cast of the GGTMC is back together again, and it is very, very good to be back. And I want to... I want to say before we get into everything else and you know what we've been up to and stuff, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been so great and you know congratulating me on the birth of our son Landon and stuff and it's been fantastic, man. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that you worry about being a new dad or you know lack of sleep, all those things, it's been terrible in some ways, but at the same time, it's been uh, so far a very rewarding experience and very uh, very much a lot of fun. And probably his first film he watched uh, it was a was a Fertilance. <laughs> So, nice. <laughs> he got a little. He got a little David Jansen submarine snakes on a submarine movie. <laughs> Which, by the way, let me say about that film. You know, boa constrictors not poisonous. Uh, you can't fool me. <laughs> nice try, though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was a. It was a. It's been great, man. And uh, I, I do. I just want to, you know, give a big group thank and a big group hug to everybody that's uh, given me the congrats and said thank yous on the po- on their respective podcast. I've listened. I listened to a lot of podcasts. And we're friends with most of those people. And uh, it's really been interesting to listen to all these shows and all these people telling me thank you. It's been uh, pretty fantastic. And, you know, of course, it should be, again, uh, publicly, we want to thank uh, Roop and uh, The Loaf uh, for stepping in and, and keeping the wheels of the GGTMC in motion. Um, you know, I couldn't have done it on my own, uh, certainly. So they really stepped up to the plate. And like we've said before, they'll, they'll be around in some regular or semi-regular capacity once we kind of get our own schedules ironed yes. out here yes yes uh but that's uh pretty much all i got to say about being back and stuff i just want to thank everybody and and stuff so uh i think we'll get into what we've been watching so what you've been uh, watching there large win well it was a really bad week for me um watching wise because short staffed at work it's summertime i'm trying to get my son out more and into the water and enjoy the weather which overall is certainly far better than watching movies but you know, truthfully, the movie watching has taken a hit. That's okay, but nonetheless, uh, here's what I've watched. It was a real bizarre week for me, despite a, a limited amount of films. <laughs> My wife watched Rock and Roll Wolf the week before, nice. so it was nice. time to pay the piper. So I said to her, gee, honey, I know you wanted to watch this. Why don't we watch The Bounty Hunter with Jennifer Aniston and Gerard Butler? It's a good idea. That was a terrible <laughs> idea, and, uh, you know, it's jumping on the grade. Take it one for the team. All right, which one? Um, Le- Leap Year or Bounty Hunter? Which one? Le- I like Leap Year, Leap Year better. High five. I, I haven't seen Bounty Hunter yet, but I don't I don't need to. I already know that Leap Year's better than Bounty Hunter. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I hate the Aniston. Other than Rock and Rolla, I don't like Gerard Butler, which I've said to you before off the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just lazy, lazy, lazy comfort food. It's like the Swanson dinners of comfort food. Just 
it, it just low quality stuff, man. It it's looked, not good at all. The, the trailer looked really bad. I mean, it looked really bad. Yeah. Even my wife said it stunk. Um, I watched one of the – actually, otherwise, it was a – wow, I was all over the world kind of. I, I watched a, a very early sex comedy from Paul Verhoeven about Dutch hookers called Business is Business. Nice. It was okay. Uh, interesting. Really well shot. The female lead looked kind of like Dario Nicoldi meets um, – uh, I don't know this singer Estero or Estero, however you say her name. I can't, I can't think how to say her name. It, it was okay, you know, not very great, a little too whimsical, and I don't know. It, it was okay. Um, then I watched a town called Panic, which was kind of like a, a stop motion, really bizarre film that played at Midnight Madness the year you were here, actually. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, I was wondering. I saw you watch that. I don't want this to sound bad because I love French film, but it was very, the, the humor was very quirky French in spots. Mm hmm. I was disappointed, I have to say. I'd give it about a six. I thought it it had its moments, but, I mean, uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox is just leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds over it. Huh. Interesting. Uh, it, it was okay, though. I mean, it was okay. Um, then I watched... Uh, one, two, three... Well, this is all I watched. The last film I watched this week before watching our films for the show was one that has really been a hot-button film... Uh, for a lot of you know the, our crowd, and that's uh, a Serbian film. Ah, oh, yes. Well, we can talk about this now because I saw this as well. So, let's yeah, t- let's talk about um, it a little bit here. I did like it. This this film, I will say, for those of you looking to seek it out, I'm not going to recommend it or discourage anyone from seeing it. But I think you really need to be aware of the extent of of how transgressive what you're watching is going to be. It, it features some some of the most, if not the most, awful visuals. And brutal visuals I've ever seen in a film, things you never even imagined would be put to film. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had a, a reasonably lengthy conversation about this film off the air. Um, and I have to say to you, Sam, because I asked you, which one do you prefer, this or Martyrs? And we both agreed Martyrs had more heart and soul and didn't seem as rub your face in it as this film. And I have to say, as I've gotten away from this film, I still admire a lot of its technical stuff. First time film, I mean, it's a stunning achievement. It's you know, all the technical stuff is first class. But I have to say, the further away I've gotten from it, the more I've found the film to be a, a little bit about shock uh, and, and about being transgressive for the sake of transgress- transgression, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, I, I find it lost a bit of its its messenger or the metaphorical stuff um, for me, especially that last line in the film yep. really, really bothered me. I thought it was just, you know, okay, we get it. Start, you've rubbed our faces in it enough. And that that line, the more I think about it, it really bothered me in terms of it losing a bit of a, being a message, a brutal message delivered to just being kind of... An exploitation film. Exploitation, you know, so... Yeah, it really, it really is a mixture of both worlds and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this. I really, I, I like the film too. Uh, it's very good and very, uh, very well made. Let me, let me go ahead and get that out of the way. I mean, it's incredibly well made. Yeah, uh, it does have a message. It, it is something I think that getting away from it, I can see where you're getting that. I haven't gotten there yet, but I could totally see that. I do agree with you, Mar- I, we, I like Martyrs more, uh, just because of the way, also the way it's constructed more and stuff, and and some of the stuff in Martyrs, I I kind of like those themes a little bit more. But uh, I like the film. It's really difficult. It's one of those weird movies because it's really difficult to sit there and say you like it when you because once you see it. Uh, you have to wonder. <laughs> you have to wonder about the person that says that they liked it, or the person that says they loved it. But I don't think, obviously, you know, it's 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 film. It's not. It's like any art. I mean, it doesn't mean you support 
what goes on in it. It just means that, you know, it is what it is. And uh, I'll have to agree. It's 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 one of the most angry movies I've ever seen. It's it's. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we joked around. Gaspar Noé on steroids, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. It's it's far more mean-spirited than even I stand alone. Because you and I said, you can see the emotional progression as a filmmaker Noé has in being more contemplative, just a little more philosophical about life and the tragedy of life mm-hmm. from I stand alone to uh, enter the void. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is as, as hard to watch as I stand alone as this is far more difficult to watch than that even. Yeah. And when we say that, you know, some of the stuff is difficult, let's just say that it's some of the stuff you've never seen on camera, but it's some of the stuff that you've wondered, actually wondered why somebody hasn't at this point been so aggressive to put it on camera. And it's funny that it would come from a country that's seen so much turmoil and stuff. Not funny as in haha, but Funny is, and uh, it doesn't surprise me much that it would come from a country like that. So. No, if, I mean, if any, the country just, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's sadly been soaked in blood and war torn. And, you know, I, I did the, I made the mistake of watching the first 50 minutes of it with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> As I told you, and we turned it up. Hi. <laughs> come here, we're talking about a movie you'll never watch, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. A Serbian film. But uh, yeah, sorry, Sammy. That's all I watched. Uh, why don't I kick it over to you and and see some of the highlights of your uh, movies in between lack of sleep? <laughs> yes, in between lack of sleep, I saw a few things. I saw. Uh, I'll just go over some of the ones that uh, you know are interesting, at least to some degree. I checked out uh, what I heard Rupert talk about it. She's out of my league. That's actually a pretty good little kind of romantic comedy, kind of funny little movie. Actually, that's not too bad. A little bit more on the gas side as hey, opposed to the female hey, hang side. On, Sammy, sorry. Hang on. <laughs> Sounds like- yeah, I got to turn the speaker up. Keep talking. <laughs> Me keep talking? Is that what you're talking about? I guess so. You can keep talking. My son's trying to climb up on my beer fridge. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he needs a beer. All right. Uh, I watched uh, a couple other things. I watched uh, The Crazies, which I have now dubbed The Lazies. That's the uh, <laughs> the uh, Timothy Oliphant one. Uh, I didn't like that at all. I thought it was pretty average. And all scares were telegraphed. Uh, they just... It just wasn't good, and it should have been good, and it was not good. So, uh, let's see. I checked out. Oh, oddly enough, I checked out Funny People, the uh, Judd Apatow film. I finally watched that, which I said I never would, but it was on cable, and I watched it. Uh, there's a there's a really great film in that movie, but this movie's not it. It's two hours and forty minutes long, or some shit. It's just a mess. Are you serious? It's two hours and forty minutes long. It's two hours and something long. It's uh, I think twenty or thirty, maybe maybe forty. I don't know. It's long as hell, and it really kind of runs it runs its course. And I am not the world's biggest Adam Sandler fan to begin with. So you me neither. I've lost a bit of appeal for Sandler. Yep. So that's probably a problem. I saw uh, the Losers, which I thought was not good. By the way, not good. You didn't like it? No, nope, didn't care for it. <laughs> oh well, I'm gonna watch it this week. So <laughs> I'll be interested to hear what you think. It wasn't. It wasn't. wasn't horrible, but it was just very average. I don't think there's enough chemistry in the cast. That was the problem. Uh, let's see what else I watch here. Bah, 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 bah. I watched Hell on the Battleground. Talked about it in feedback a little bit. Another David Pryor. This one's got William Smith and a couple of mulleted, mainly manly men. <laughs> so interesting stuff. Uh, I saw Predators. Uh, didn't care for Predators. wasn't that good. It was average at best. It's very lame in a lot of ways. Uh, you're better off just watching the first movie again because it's basically the same movie. Uh, except with a worse cast. A terrible cast, by the way. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm, trying to see. I'm trying to run through here and see what else. And about the only other thing I watched, I watched last night, was The Book of Eli, which started out really good. The first hour of The Book of Eli is really, really good, but then it really, really just starts to f- just dwindle and fall apart and loses itself. But 
you know, it gets into all kinds of the same. It, 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 it seems like it's, it's it's all been there, done that post-apocalyptic stuff after that first hour. The first hour sets itself up really well. The violence is really good. Uh, Denzel Washington's really good. The Hughes brothers are incredibly talented guys. Um, but then the film just <laughs> nice Fall, <laughs> falls apart like wet tissue paper. Hang on, I gotta get Robert and the room. Yeah. Come on, I'm gonna go. That's why I run the household. I can trick you easily. <laughs> mommy and mommy run the household. <laughs> I felt bad about doing that, but yeah, you know, slightly you upset. You. He'll he'll get past it. Trust me. Uh, five minutes. <laughs> five minutes. He'll totally forget it happened. It's a good thing about being young. But yeah, that, that's the. Uh, that's about all I watched. I mean, yeah, but the Book of Eli, yeah, good, good first hour, bad uh, second hour. So, is the the, the quote unquote twist? No, I mean not twist, but is the book as obvious as as people hint at it being? Yes. Oh fuck! <laughs> it's a little too obvious. That's the problem with the movie: is the whole back half hour is obvious. That's the biggest problem. <laughs> as you can see, Little William didn't didn't like it. No, <laughs> he didn't care for it at all. <laughs> Uh, that's that's. I mean, I watch a lot of stuff in between. If you follow me on Twitter and stuff, you would have known what I watched and stuff. But that's about all I got. And uh, we never talked. Did we talk about what we were covering this week? I don't think we did. No, we haven't yet. <laughs> all right. This week we are covering Akira Kurosawa's uh, Throne of Blood. I think it's from like fifty nine, maybe. Close. Fifty seven. Fifty seven. Close. And Throwdown from uh, Johnny Toe, which I think is like two thousand four. Have I'm right? Yes. Okay. Good. I'm glad I got that one right. Anyway. <laughs> can't get the years right every week. There wouldn't be a show with if I did. So <laughs> I always look at them like I'll get this one right this week, and I never write it down. And I'm always like, oh, what year was it from? All right, so that is what we're covering. So we're going to take a small break. We're going to let little William calm down a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> large William get things under control. <laughs> and uh, yes, I hear my future in in your household. That's what I hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. Uh, the terrible twos are on the way. Uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, uh, okay, so yeah, that's it. We'll take a break, and I guess what do you want to talk about first? Uh, your choice, man. You're, it's, I'll welcome you back uh, and let you decide what you want to talk about first. All right, we'll just do we'll just throw in the blood first. That's what I got written down here. So let's do that one first. Very. All right, we'll be back right after this. One of those boys so wild sawed his own head off going ninety mile per hour. From the drive-in to the video store, the podcast The Dreaded Sundown is your guide to the best in psychotronic cinema. Join Mike and John as they discuss the classic and not-so-classic in horror, cult, and exploitation film. You can find them at sundownpodcast.com or search for the podcast The Dreaded Sundown in the iTunes store. And don't forget to replace the speaker as you leave.
right, we are back from break, and uh, that's our track of the week from uh, Funky 16 Corners. Uh, yes, and a flute has never sounded so funky. That's true. That's very funky. Uh, for those of you looking for more information on that track, uh, as my email lets me down by being slow, um, <laughs> that track is a piece by Alan Parker and Alan Hawkshaw. It's called Hot Pants. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good track. I want to thank Larry again, funky16corners.lunarpages.net, for our serving of... Uh, Funky. I think he might. He might. Uh, you know. He might have known since I was coming back to the show. To, you know, to pick a title of my nickname. So you know. Well, yeah. I mean, you and I tend to record in hot pants as it is, so yes. I think it was timely. Yes. Uh, as uh, Christina from uh, Girls on Film Radio calls those pants, uh, coochie cutters. Nice. So I got my coochie cutters on right now. <laughs> Although they're not cutting a coochie, they're cutting something else. Yeah. Moose knuckle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's some some draping uh, over the sides. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So uh, our first film today is uh, I wanted to come back with a bang, so I picked uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, Akira Kurosawa, and a film that I knew Large William hadn't seen, and it was probably as close as Akira Kurosawa ever got to really genre-genre uh, genre filmmaking. I mean, he did work in the genre of samurai films and basically westerns in some degree, or easterns, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, you know... I want to do something like that and stuff. And I knew you hadn't seen it, so I wanted to talk about it. And it was on our roadmap. It's on one of our newer roadmaps, but I wanted to come back with it. So it is Throne of Blood, 1957, uh, directed by Kira Kurosawa. The plot synopsis is a ruthlessly ambitious lord egged on by his wife works to fulfill a prophecy that he would become emperor. And it's basically Kurosawa's take on Macbeth. So uh, the Shakespeare, uh, if you've never heard of that guy. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, I chose it. We'll see what Will's got to say about it, and we'll get talking about it here. Okay, so this is one of, and I noticed when I did the feedback section last week that I say okay a lot, and I'm going to try to cut that down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. So this, yeah, this is our third Kurosawa film. Interestingly, it's also our third Johnny Toe uh, at the same time. Um, it, it's a very, I'll come right out and say it's a very good film. Um it's one of two works of Kurosawa that I had not seen that I feel are amongst his most celebrated. This and Akiru. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I've only got one more kind of really important, you know, uh, widely celebrated film of Kurosawa's that I got to right. get through before I get to some of his lesser known stuff, some right. of his color stuff. Uh, I want to get into the Russian film he did, I think it's Urzu Duzala or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dreams. Those are the, only, the two sort of later later works I want to see, but. So now I can cross this one off. Uh, yeah, you said it. It really is Macbeth. Uh, features a lot of um, a lot of uh, Kurosawa players, of course. Uh, Takeshi uh, Shimura, Toshiro Mifune, um, Hiroshi Tachikawa. I mean, it's it's. But really, this film is about uh, Mifune. I mean, as much as it's about him and um, his friend, it really is about Mifune and his 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 thirst. I don't even know if it's so much a thirst. But anyway, I'm, I'm babbling already. Let me get into the film and just talk about <laughs> observations here. Uh, you'd said this, is, and a lot of people widely consider this to be the closest Kurosawa got to horror. And, and that's a very accurate statement because a lot of it is like horror. I mean, it's got the, just this incredible opening with this piece of music. I mean, these drums, this kind of, this wood kind of clacking, uh, flutes. And it, the flute almost has this high-pitched strain. like It's almost like this desperate dying wail. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's really fantastic, man. The score for this film is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Those big drums and really great stuff. Um, so the film opens and and you get kind of this chorus chanting. There's a lot of fog. I tried to come up with um, 
and forgive my, I'm going to sound like such a lunkhead when I say this. What's the word? A synonym is a similar word? Uh, or is it an anthonym or homonym? I never remember, man. It's some kind of mim. Uh, I think it's a synonym. You, you and put, I know Miles is going to slay me for this. You put me on the spot there. Now I don't know. <laughs> well, now neither one of us knows. Let's just say it's a synonym. At least I didn't call it a cinnamon. Yeah, a cinnamon. Um, yes. I wanted to come up with one because we have the Fulci fog and everything else. I tried to come up with a synonym for fog for Kurosawa that would be alliteration, but I couldn't come up with one. But there's a lot of fog, man. A lot of fog. Um, yeah, more fog than conquest. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. And this is, uh, pro- there's, this there's, is probably seriously even more unhealthy fog than the fog that. Uh, that uh, Fulci uses uh, so often. Oh yeah, yeah. There's this talk of the devil, blood, a lot of dark kind of mountainsides. I mean, it it almost is like the winds howling. It's almost like Reffin. William is clearly having a good morning. He's uh, imitating a, a one of the Irish uh, X Men uh, yes. by doing that. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> um, it. Uh, it's you get the wind howling. I mean, it really it does have some really a horror type feel to it. Um, <laughs> let me just try. Hang on, I'm going to try one more thing here. All right. Okay, I'm going to bring him here, but he's got to be cool. Okay, Sammy, I'm going to try this. <laughs> All right. Let's Again, give it a shot. My apologies to our listeners. It, it, the film really. Yes. I know it hurts. Okay. This, I can see this is going to go as well as I expected it would. <laughs> Daddy's done his cereal. That, that's an empty bowl. The, the uh, theatricality of, of a lot of their costumes, it just seems like as much as it's traditional uh, Japanese wear uh, for the soldiers. Now he's turning the knobs on my mixer. That's not good. It, it really feels like the theatricality of it's ramped up a little bit. Um, right, right. right. In this film, so really visually striking. Um, the, the film takes place around Cobweb Forest, which William Mysterio has done. I'll give you the bowl then, and you're gonna spill milk on my lap, and it's gonna continue this awesome review. So, Cobweb Forest, you know, is uh, the name alone evokes. I mean, certain feels cobweb spiders and. You know, it, it, there's a storm going off with all this lightning, and it, it's it's kind of coming. The, the lights coming through the treetops, and there's fog. And again, it just it really, really sets the atmosphere for this film and makes it feel like a like a, a ghost story. I mean, it's it's just a fantastic opening in terms of setting the mood and tone for the film. Yeah, it's unlike a lot of Kurosawa films, it feels like it takes place in like a, almost like a fantasy world. Yeah, you're right. It, 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 I feel like in this film. There's almost like a blur between dream and reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fog almost disconnects the rest of the world. This is like it's like you know it envelops them and kind of just cuts them off from everyone else. Um, there's a great line when they, they run into a, a ghost of sorts, and um, the ghost is talking about uh, humans and human nature and men, and it says, "Mortal life is a leash at which all men strain and yelp at." Yeah, yeah, and that's a great line, man. Yeah, I mean the the film is a lot about you know the yeah. kind of uh, the weaknesses of you know the mortal form, and you know it's a lot about greed and human error and and those kind of things. A lot of these th- a lot of these themes are actually in a lot of Kurosawa's films, and I know John's probably going to listen to this and be like calling us and giving us a bunch of feedback because he's he's like the Kurosawa professional. But uh, yeah, I mean I'll try to tackle as many of the themes as I can in my in my estimation, but. Uh, you know, a lot of those things are in there. You know, the 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 weaknesses of mankind. I mean, I think him and and Kubrick were the best at uh, kind of 
speaking to the kind of weaknesses of humanity without being, I mean, some would say negative, but I don't think they're incredibly negative. I think they're actually kind of positive when you think about it. They just kind of are honest about what humanity is really about. I think Kurosawa was more of an impartial observer than, than Kubrick was. Mm -hmm. I think Kubrick, uh, I think Kurosawa was almost like documentarian in that sense. He documented some of the, the, the weaknesses <laughs> of man, but Kubrick at times to me feels more pessimistic about humanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, um, I think sometimes there's a, they can see that, that light peeking through with, with good men and, and the choices, you know, people, all people of honor make uh, with Kurosawa's work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I find a lot of Japanese films I've, I've watched, older films particularly, when they have ghosts and ghost stories, I always find it fascinating, the human interaction with ghosts. It, it almost is like they have standard conversations of sorts. Oh, yes, what's going on? You know, it, it, it's, it's very unlike what we're accustomed to in North America because here... It's like the ghost dominates things, and the person's are, and they run away. Whereas, in a lot of Japanese films, there's there's a respect for for ghosts, and there seems to be more interaction uh, with them, and in a sort of a normal environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, one thing that I I noticed with this film with <laughs> Mufu, hi William, uh, that I think is is very interesting that it's two films that uh, Kurosawa's employed this. Uh, with Mifuni, and that that's that use of almost like this German expressionist makeup. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just, in this one, it really works well, because the film, the film really, the, the film really does have that other world feel, and, and to really ramp up the visuals by putting this makeup on him where he just looks haunted, Yeah, uh, it, it really serves him and the film and the tone of the film quite well. Yeah, they, uh, uh, Mifuni's face was made for silent films anyway. I mean, he's got a great expressive face. And uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about him before, that, you know, he has these expressions on his face, this very angular face and stuff, and then they add the makeup to it, and it really comes off as almost like this human monster look that uh, progressively gets worse. But, of course, you know, that's because of the burden of everything weighing down on him, what happens in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is some macabre things in this film. We see mounds and mounds of skeletons and... You know, it's it just really. Uh, oh, you're getting bored with me now. I'm sorry. You're not uh, enjoying the dissection of Throne of Blood. <laughs> He's done with that. You done? No, no, go out there with mommy. Or not? Um, okay, so we get that. I mean, you know what? I only I love about Mafuni that he does maybe better than anyone is is a really great gruff yet stop on a dime laugh. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it just, just puts the brakes on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it, one thing I kept coming back to with the film is just, again, the, the sense of foreboding and the drums and, and uh, how much, you know, the music was really, you know, we talk about scores a lot with films and how they complement films, but it's one thing to like the music. It's another thing to like it and allow it to really enhance the film and, and the tone of the film. And that, that score in this really does that. Mm -hmm. Um there's a great sequence where, when what they've been, what Mifuni and his, um, uh, was it Miki? Uh, is Miki his, uh, his, his friend? I think so, yeah. Uh, they, they come back from seeing the, the king, and you can see their faces, and they're, they're walking down that corridor of soldiers, and you can kind of just see the, the disbelief on their faces as they can't they just they're, they're they cannot fathom that this is actually coming to pass what this ghost has told them mm -hmm. yes 
Yes, right, I know. It's, it's a great moment. Uh, yeah, they're walking away, and they kind of just give this little look to each other. And yeah. it's, it's a really great moment. But, uh, you know, in, in Japanese culture, I do know that, you know, they're not supposed to show a lot of emotion anyway mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to their formal gatherings and stuff. You know, in Kurosawa, I got this in my notes. I mean, nobody shoots conference scenes or people sitting uh-huh. around in chairs like Kurosawa. Yeah, you're right, man. <laughs> I mean, he always, he always right. frames those perfectly. And... Uh, you know, it's a great. It not only is it a great looking scene, but then you get these William. great little. <laughs> William, that's when all the D's are flying off my shelves, like uh, like the books in Ghostbusters right now. Oh, no, but you're right. He has a knack for shooting stuff like that, and I think a lot of times when you see those scenes, they're meant to to certainly uh, convey a, a certain sense of of business. You know, a serious nature. You know, uh, like even the scene in Seven Samurai when they're at the the little tea house at the beginning in town, the, the the peasants are trying to convince them to to help them and stuff. He he, he does shoot those, and I never really thought about how well he does shoot kind of conferences amongst men. Yeah, no, he yeah. shoots them. He shoots them very well. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to talk about that that I, I, that's always perplexed me, and I finally said, "Piss on it!" I got to find out the the origin of this. Mm-hmm. Is uh, how Japanese women at the time their fascination with shaving off their eyebrows and drawing them on right below their hairline. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a disgusting look, personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't quite do much for me. And and furthermore, she blackens her teeth, which I looked up, and it was done to accentuate the white makeup that they would wear on their faces. So blackened teeth, eyebrow shaving was a hot thing uh, for Japanese women of the time. doesn't translate so well nowadays. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Although if you come if you come down here, I can take you to some areas where teeth are black and not on purpose. Well, you get you get some cholas that um, that will pencil in their eyebrows, but I mean it's almost like they take a wide paintbrush to the top of their forehead in this movie. Um, so uh, then the, the Lady Macbeth stuff starts, of course. And anyone familiar with the story kind of knows how that's going to shake out. Yes. Um, and I, I just but I love that. Despite this being old material that all of us have seen, how you, you really believe Mafuni when he talks about it, it, it not being improbable, but truly being impossible. And, you know, he talks about his best friend, and, and it's just funny how that, that comes about. And I never really thought about kind of the self fulfilling prophecy uh, of, of Macbeth and about this stuff, and how ultimately it really does come down to choices men make. It's not that they have a choice. Mm-hmm. Thing, you know, but. The, the fact that the choices are made that are going to fulfill this, no, don't turn off the computer, uh, that are going to fulfill this really spoke to me on a human nature level. Okay. <laughs> take, a, take a deep breath. <laughs> so I'm very, very sorry to you, Sammy, to our listeners. <laughs> I was just telling you, take a deep breath. Just just relax. It's going to be okay. It's crazy, man. <laughs> He's usually not this wound up, but... Yeah, really. I mean, this is, and this is actually early for him, too. Usually he doesn't wound up until about uh, 11 o'clock, 11.15. Yeah, I know, I know. He's going hardcore today. He's been getting up early lately. but um, Good for nobody <laughs> but him. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, the good thing is he goes to bed earlier. Oh, well, that is sweet, yes. Yeah, that is good. Yes, he's been up late lately, so it's good. But um, I love there's a great moment when two of... Um, Two of the, uh, the the men who work in in Mufuni's employ, it's like about cleaning some blood. The stains won't come out. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they're walking around by candlelight, and you get just enough delay that it builds up the suspense when 
you see the candle slowly moving towards the wall, and it's like you want to see this blood stain they're talking about. I loved his his ability to manufacture suspense over a stain on a wall. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 it's hard enough to clean blood nowadays. Not that I would know <laughs> a massive <laughs> amounts of blood nowadays, but uh, I can't imagine what they would clean it with back then. Was this water and soap? I guess. I mean, that's not going to really get rid of it. Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah, Coca Cola. Yeah, it was it was fifty seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know. That's a good question, man. I'm not sure what they do. You know, I think that uh, you know the saying, you know, for uh, behind every powerful man is a more powerful woman. You know, comes from Macbeth, and and uh, you know from the manipulation stuff and how weak uh, a man's spirit can be sometimes. And you know, I've always I've always loved the kind of henpeck nature of the Macbeth character, or in this yeah. in this in this case, uh, you know, Washishu. How you say his name? How you say, is that how you say it? Washishu. Uh, Washishu. Washishu. Yeah. yeah Washishu. Uh, that uh, I love the kind of you know that as powerful as this man is, that he's basically this this henpecked uh, you know ne'er do well who can't who can't do enough to satisfy Lady Macbeth, despite being the most decorated soldier in the army of this fiefdom. Yeah, but he should be more. He should always be more. Yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. There, there's a lot being said in this film about yeah about that, and you know it's just it's it's very interesting. And she plays the character quite well. I mean, she's just a real ice queen in this film. Yeah, yeah. There's that great shot where she walks into the dark and then she walks back out. Oh, yeah, that looks really good, man. It's yeah. like a ghost. Yes, it's <laughs> fantastic. Um, once a deed has been done, I love that it's silent for about five minutes, mm -hmm. and it's just like it's just you know, he's lost in his thoughts, and you just hear him breathing and staring. He's just as if he's contemplating the magnitude of what he's just done, and then he kind of there's a great one where he snaps out of his trance. And, you know, he's got to kind of act accordingly, and it, it's just, it's really, really well done. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, the interesting thing is, I've always thought this, but I've never really said it because I never really had a public forum to say it, but also another thing Mifuni does well, he runs into frame <laughs> so well. I mean, he, he, he is the master, I think, of uh, running into a frame and stopping on a dime and, oh, yeah. and, and starting acting immediately. I mean, they got, I cannot think of how many films I've seen Mifune run to the camera or run away from the camera or run sideways. He's always running. He's almost he's like the Tom Cruise of his time. <laughs> or or Kramer. He's like Kramer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. And he just he runs and then he just stops and starts talking or he stops and starts emoting and acting and stuff. And I don't know if it was something him and uh Kurosawa had going there that, that that made that, but maybe it was. I don't know. I, I haven't looked this up and I'm sure a million of our listeners not a million, not that we have a million, but <laughs> figuratively speaking, a million of our listeners know this, but I have to wonder if he has much in the way of theater training because of, of how exaggerated sometimes, or how he projects his voice and his presence. I would have to assume that uh, Buffoni does have theater training. I don't really know yeah. enough about him, no, but I would have to assume that he did. Actors in those days pretty much almost always had theater training. Yeah, no, they did. Uh, he's working the, the the you know the signature Kurosawa screen wipe, which I'm surprised Johnny Toe didn't use in Throwdown uh, for what it's worth. But yeah, yeah. The, the, but it really is interesting is though. Uh, you know, in the credits, the Throwdown, he does thank Akira Kurosawa. Oh, yeah. Well, not just that, but the opening credits are very Kurosawa-esque. Yes, yes. You know, that handwritten characters over the black. and um, I, This is maybe going to seem like a silly note until you see it, but I, I, I couldn't help but think how massive the door for Cobweb Castle was and think, you know, as I often do with films that are made pre-CGI, someone had to make this door. Whether, it, whether they found the castle or it was built, yeah, they built th it. this door they, was they, made they, at some point. Yeah, they built that, actually, yeah. They built it at the base of Mount Fuji, as a matter of fact. It's just incredible, though. I mean, it's a humongous door. Oh, it's an amazing... Uh, uh, the sets on this film are amazing. I mean, the production design is just... 
It's some of uh, it's some of the best in any Kurosawa film. It's really good. You really get the sense of scope, and and you know, it's just a large, large. I really, I really love that scene where they, they they it's it's after the scene where they ride around the fog too much, and because uh, they do ride around the fog a little too much, <laughs> and yeah. that one scene when they come back from the forest, uh, the kind of spiderweb forest, and they and they I love that they are so close to the castle and they decide to sit down and take a break. Yeah, I know. And it kind of really gives you that sense of scale, this wide open space and this castle in the background. It's not a model, an actual real castle and stuff, and the way the fog separates so you can see it and stuff. It's really good stuff. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I have to think that... Um, did I mention this? Nicholas Winding Refn, I think, must have seen this no, you didn't pre-Valhalla Rising. A filmmaker like Refn, I would have to assume, does know quite a bit about Kurosawa, yes. <laughs> I'm sure he has. I mean, more just that I think he might have revisited it as an influence. I think the fog, the dreamlike state, not saying the stories are to the letter similar because they're very different, but I just think a lot of that stuff uh, felt very similar to me. Yeah, it did. Um, In spots, especially. Uh, after we see and hear Mufuni taunted by this, by an apparition, I really wish that, that Kurosawa had did just a straight on horror. I mean, he really is a master of all elements. And. It's genuinely creepy it's in spots you know genuinely creepy i just think someone of his skill you know one of the top five filmmakers of all time and in our opinion um a load, load of love to have seen him dip his toe dip it no never mind dip his toe but really get into a horror film right right that would have been nice uh you know it's one of those you know could have would have should have things he could have done it very well i'm pretty positive but you know this is as close as he came and i guess that's that, that's just where you know he was yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he. I don't know if he really liked that genre. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, he would. He could have done whatever he wanted. So he obviously didn't really care to. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, just seeing this, and and you know, we have the early '80s, coked up South Florida version. But I have to think that, you know, in in getting ready for the role of Tony Montana, that uh, he watched Mafuni in this film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, very very evident. Um, I always, again, I talked about this with the door, but I always admire large-scale moments in films, like when he's addressing his men near the end. You have to think of the, from a practical standpoint, outfitting all these men, giving them weapons and getting them in place. And it just, I always admire things like that when I see older films and, and the work that went, the love and the, the, the dedication that went into crafting a scene. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's those kind of things that uh, Kurosawa does well. I mean, he, he was an epic filmmaker. Uh, and really, when you think about it, though, his epics are like small stories. And that's what I've always found very interesting about him. I mean, really, you think about Seven Samurai, it's an epic movie, but it's a very simple story. You know, seven guys helping uh, some lowly villagers who are having problems with some bandits. I mean, it's a very simple story, but he manages to tell this epic, epic story. And even when we did like Drunken Angel and, and High and Low, these, I mean, High and Low especially, I've forgotten how epic it actually was. It feels like almost two different films put together. Yeah. And Drunken Angel, it's all set takes place in this town, but it just feels like an epic story. I mean, he just, you know, he wrote most of his own stuff. So, I mean, everything he just, it just had a definite personal touch, it seemed. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, we talked about coochie cutters and Daisy Dukes and hot pants. One of the, one of uh, Mifune's archers is wearing Daisy Dukes in this film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Um, yes. <laughs> Bald man with large arrows and Daisy Dukes, uh, <laughs> quite awesome. Um, and then the scene with the arrows at him, I think it's a pretty famous scene. It, it's pretty, inc- it's a really incredible sequence. Visually, again, from a practical execution standpoint. Uh, it's real. It, yeah, it's real. It's just insane that the trust you have to have. Um, 
yeah. and the people you're working with. I mean, these arrows are getting shot into the wood, and it's just punctuating the moment more and more and more. And he's and they're being shot like, into Mafuni too. He's got wood underneath his uh, costume. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, some would argue that this is. Uh, you know, from what I've read and stuff, this is the beginning of their argument. They still would make uh, four, five, six films together or something like that. But this is kind of the uh, the beginning of some of their their arguments. <laughs> I could I could see that, and that that uh, that that sequence ends with a really well edited punctuation. I actually had to rewind, and I was like, "Hang on, let me see how that was done." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what you call a a microscopic edit that's done so yeah. well. And it's actually, the first time I saw it, it actually is a stunning scene. It's a stunning moment because... Oh, it is. Uh, the silence that happens uh, and everything else, it's a stunning moment. Mafuni's face is priceless. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, which I don't know what kind of face you would make if that happened to you. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the face I would think you would make. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's it's an amazing... I would argue that the finale of this film is is easily one of the, the greatest things Curse I ever shot because he wasn't really known... Uh, so much for action. I mean, yeah, you had some sword play and stuff like that, but this one is like really fastly edited and and just well put together and stuff. And he manages to make this these couple of stairwells and these walls. Uh, he manages to make it all claustrophobic by hitting these arrows on these walls. And Mafuti's always tearing through them and screaming, and, and it's just really insane. And it goes on for about uh, I don't know about six minutes, five or six minutes. It seems as it goes on for a while. Well, he's done large scale stuff, but the kind of kinetic, quick cut like this. This features, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and Brian De Palma's a huge fan of this film, and, uh, you know, you can see some similarities between this and Carrie, if you think about it. Especially that last six minutes. Yes. <laughs> if you think about it, you really can see some very big similarities. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, but those are all my notes, actually. All right. Uh, I'll go over a few things. Uh, you know, some critics consider this the, the greatest ad- adaptation of Shakespeare ever put to film. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty dedicated and stuff, and it's definitely one of my favorites. I mean, I think it's it's well. And Chris, I was very good at taking stuff and adapting it to you know feudal Japan and things like that. And so you know, he, he was very, very good at that. And uh, I've always appreciated that the most. I mean, he was able to adapt everything and adapt to things, which is what I think made him a very important filmmaker. You know, we have some feedback in the feedback section from Piccolo about how you know the film's a little too glacial for him, probably. Uh, he can't really get. He couldn't really get into it, and we talked about it in there that, you know, maybe Kurosawa was not for him and stuff. And you know, I, I can totally understand that. If you're a film buff, and you can't get Kurosawa, that's that's still fine. I just don't think everybody can get everybody. I just don't think it's possible. You can't love every filmmaker you're supposed to love. It's impossible because some some filmmakers no. I think just don't cater to your needs as a fan. Your sensibility, yeah. You, you know, you just some people just don't. Uh, you know, we talked about this. Some people like Ozu more than they like uh, Kurosawa. I'm a, I'm a Kurosawa guy, but some people love Ozu more. So, and Brian, actually, Rupert, another uh, one of the gentle minions and gentlemen, uh, he's more of an Ozu kind of guy than a Kurosawa kind of guy. So, you know, it's just it's to each their own. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the Godard I've seen so far. I mean, I respect it because I look at it in the context of what it did, but it doesn't push my buttons or turn my crank or whatever you want to say. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's that's the way it is. I mean, yeah, appreciating something is totally different than, you know, loving something and I can t- I can understand somebody appreciating Kurosawa but not getting into it, you know. It's it's very simple to do. Cuz you know, it is old school filmmaking in a lot of ways. It's very influential filmmaking, very early filmmaking in some ways and it can be a bit slow. This one is I will admit that this one is a bit slow in spots. This one actually is even less action packed than I would say a lot of his films in some ways, but uh, you know, it works for me. For some reason, it works for me, and I think for me, it's always about the, the themes that he tackles, 
you know, the humanity that he tackles, even if it's helping people or if it's not helping people or people helping themselves or liking Drunken Angel with the, uh, you know, the, the kind of quirky doctor or the kind of, you know, and the bad gangster and these two guys coming together it becomes about the relationship and things like that. I mean, his films are very human in nature and told on a grand scale like I was talking about. So I think it's what I've always loved. And, of course, I love any film where there's manipulation and, and human weakness because I believe any of us, as good as we might be, can be easily manipulated if the circumstances are put into in front of us and they're correct. I would like to believe that I would never be manipulated in doing something crazy, but I've never been put into some extreme situations that people are, so I always find it more interesting. Because, you know, you always think to yourself, you see something on the news and you're like, how can this mother, how can this fucking guy do this? How can this woman do this? You know, if it's a woman that, you know, like here in the States, the woman that drowned her kids or oh, all these, all the terrible things that happen. And you think to yourself, you know, that's just awful. You know, and it, and it is awful. It is awful. But then you got to think, you know, something's happened to that person. Something along the way's happened. This person's weak, maybe, you know, and it's, it's not an insult. It's just the truth. They couldn't, they couldn't fight these temptations or these awful things. And it's not an excuse. It's just the truth. It's just the way it is. And I always liked that Kurosawa, may, and you're right, in a more positive way than, than Kubrick. Now, Kubrick was absolutely positive that, you know, humanity was an evil, evil form of existence uh, in some way. Um, I like that he always kind of gives you both sides of it. Cause, you know, you said, I think he gives you the – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, you can go ahead. Say what you're going to say. No, I was going to say, yeah, I just definitely think that he believes in, in the good of man a lot more. Yeah. Not to say Kubrick was a hundred percent negative, but you know, one was more positive, one was more negative. It's it's very apparent. Yeah, one, which one, one is yeah. which? Yeah, one has a little bit more hope than the other. That's what yes. I think. I think is what you're basically trying to say. Uh, yes. Again, I talked about the the conference shots. I mean, he just really knows how to fill a room, how to set up a shot like that. Uh, you know, you got the fine line of ambition in here and greed. I mean, there's a, there's a fine line there. I've met a lot of people in my life who are considered ambitious. And once you get to know them, you really discover that they are mostly greedy. Uh, that, that's per people's perceptions of ambition. I'm not saying ambition's a bad thing, because ambition's a very good thing for some people. But you, I always meet people sometimes, and those guys say, oh, you're going to love this guy. He's very ambitious. And then when I get to know him, I find out, that, yeah, he's ambitious, all right. <laughs> yeah, but you have to temper that with, uh, in moderation. I mean, you know, at what cost is your ambition going to come? Yeah, yeah, and that's, 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 what, that's, what, that's what I mean by that fine line. I mean... It's easy to fall into the other side of it, which is greed, and it's easy to fall for it and and fall into it and say, oh, you know, it's not that bad. It's you know, it's a little bit greedy. No, no big deal. So you know, it's very interesting. But yeah, I just say the last six to ten minutes of this film, are, I would argue, some of the greatest ever shot. I love the way it's all set up, the moving trees uh, that you know uh, messes with uh, Mafuni's mind. Uh, it's not a spoiler or anything. Uh, it just just some amazing shots, and those shots with the trees are. I don't know how he pulled that off. Yeah, it was. I didn't know what the hell was going on at first. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane, you know. And this is the days before optical effects, so you know, I mean, it's, you know, he's, you know, he's doing this manually and stuff. So it's pretty amazing and stuff. And then of course you get a reveal that's pretty amazing too, and all these arrows and all this craziness going on in this last six to ten minutes. It's it's very infamous and very well known. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 one of my. It's not my favorite Mifune, uh, Kurosawa Mifune film, but. Uh, it is a lot of fun because the genre person in me loves the loves the fact that this is as close as he ever got to horror films, and uh, I think he you know he shows that he was a master filmmaker. He did a very good job in in making this uh, adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth, which is basically a horror story if you think about it, and and uh, he did it very well, adapted it very well to, to feudal Japan, which is again what he always did well. So uh, that's all I got. So let's hear your make or breaks and MVTs. 
make or break is the first scene with the apparition. I really love that scene. I thought it was really cool. Again, he understands what makes a good ghost story. Not that this is a ghost story, but there's there's ghosts, there's horrific elements. He understands that it's it's atmosphere is, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first scene with the apparition really worked well for me. I really dug it. They're wandering around cobweb forest trying to figure out get their bearings and. It is really great. Um, MVT is the supernatural feel, or just supernatural elements of the film. Um, again, I think you know, like you just said, when you get one of your one of the greatest filmmakers of all time and one of our favorite filmmakers to dip his toe into waters that we adore, and just to kind of see the the end result. I mean, how can you not be excited at the prospect of that? I, I just think it's great, and that's why I just kind of lament. It's almost like you got to taste of something really good and you want more, and that's like, sorry, that's all there is. Yeah, that's all there is. You know, <laughs> you know, but that's okay. I mean, at least we got to see that that glimpse into that. Yes. Um, my score for the film was a 9 out of 10. Nice. Um, that's actually higher this, than my score. <laughs> is it? Yes, yeah, nice. I think this is a fucking excellent film, man. <laughs> excellent film. It's, I really dug it, man. I really dug it. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, Kurosawa's. Uh, Rashomon still is number one. For me, um, there's, some, there's some similarities with Rashomon, especially the way this thing opens with all the different perspectives and different stories. Yeah, yeah, because that really is Rashomon for you there. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, just a fantastic film. Again, just the atmosphere is fantastic in this. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's my stuff. I'll uh, I'll kick it over to you. Nice, nice. So uh, my make or break is going to be the climax. It's probably one of the most infamous climaxes in cinema history. You got to wait a long time to get there. I know it's a hard. I hate to make make or breaks climaxes of films. I hate to do that, but. I cannot ignore it in this case because it's just it's just insane. It's just a great it's great moments all in general. Uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with Mafuni on this one because I like I like his craziness in this film. I like his loss of sanity in this movie. How he slowly progresses into dementia, and this gets more mm-hmm. and more quote unquote Mafune esque. <laughs> Yes, I mean, he really goes. I mean, that one scene where he's in the uh, the conference room and whatever, and he sees the ghost of uh, you know something, wow. and uh, it's pretty amazing. He just he's, he's losing his shit, man. And people are looking at him like, "What's wrong with this fucking guy?" <laughs> it made me think when he's yelling in this film, and I don't know why I'd never thought of this before, but it made me think. Imagine he was your like you were his child, man. That man could yell. <laughs> oh yeah, man. He, yeah, I'd be scared to death of that guy. Yeah, I mean, he just—he's an intimidating. Well, first of all, it's his history as an actor, but I mean, he's just an intimidating force on screen. I mean, he's a powerhouse. I've always said, you know, he's Toshiro the Tornado. You know, he's—he's he's definitely one of those guys that comes in and just, you know, like the Tasmanian Devil, just wipes everything out. Yeah, and uh, he literally is one of those kind of actors, and I think that's what makes him one of the great actors. You know, um, my score for the film is just a little bit lower than yours. It's eight point seven five out of ten. I—I I adore this movie. Uh, I will admit that the score is harmed only by the fact that it is a little, uh, like I said, glacial in spots, a little slow-paced and stuff. But it really is a very good film. Uh, the henpecked husband, the the the, the themes of uh, greed, ambition, power, all those things are there. And, and, and it's really, really good stuff. And I'm, I'm really glad that you dug it. Uh, I knew we, we, we talked about Kurosawa and I talked about Throne of Blood. And you said, I've never seen it. And I was like, well, that's going on the roadmap. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. uh, so if you guys want to know how we build our roadmap, sometimes we'll just be talking and one of us will say, oh, I've never seen it. And it's like, oh, psh, that's going on the map right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the ones I wanted to talk about. So it's really good to come back and talk about this one. So good stuff, man. I'm glad you dug it as much as you did. You liked it even more than I did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good, great stuff. I, I mean, it's not obviously a film you want to put on at one in the morning, but I think if you're wide awake and stuff and you can get into it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, so we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some judo and throwdown.
with Johnny Toe. So we'll be back right after this. What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. you have because at the time i remember thinking i never thought i'd hear andrew wk <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I pick songs at random and uh, i'll just i literally <laughs> just scroll down and uh, hit enter and i'm like okay that's good whatever and uh and they're all songs that are on my ipod by 99 of them and if, if not 99 of them then it's just because i haven't put it on there yet <laughs> and uh including that funky track we played from funky 16 corners today that's going on the ipod soon too and uh yeah i don't know if i remember playing that or not but it's it's really weird yeah it's probably the only danger wk song i like actually so the only you know it's funny the i thought the same thing when i was doing the the songs the shot like i wanted to play some like haven't we played that before well you know what buddy by the time you do as many shows as we've done and stuff and you you get to pick three or four songs per show and stuff you will find yourself there's no way you can't repeat yourself yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't keep track of what I play, so you know. no, no. And the music's just a break anyway. It's not. It's not. We're not a music show. We're just a. This is in between. Anyway, let's talk about some uh, some Johnny Toe here. I'll let you uh, synopsize and stuff. Okay, so there I said with okay. Uh, this is our third Johnny Toe film, of course. It's a tribute to Akira Kurosawa, as evidenced, I think, in some of the visual stuff, as well as him out and out saying it uh, at the end of the film. And, of course, it references Judo, which the very first film Akira Kurosawa made was about Judo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, a former Judo champion is given the chance to redeem himself after he befriends a competitor and an aspiring singer. For once, there's a clear and concise yeah. plot synopsis on IMDb. Yeah, that's, uh, that's point blank and just about perfect. Yeah, <laughs> so I picked this film. I, uh, the stuff we've covered from Johnny Toe, and the stuff, truthfully, I like the best, is more of his gangster... Uh, stuff, but I think this is off the beaten path and one that doesn't get enough love from people uh, when they speak of him. So I picked it. Uh, let's see what you, the Kurosawa enthusiast, thought of it. Okay, so uh, yeah, this is off the beaten path. You know, I'm used to the uh, Johnny Toe guns, Anthony Wong. You know, I'm used to all that stuff. Uh, 
uh, you know, the stylized gangster stuff. And, and even though there's bits and pieces of what feels like gangster stuff in here, you know, nightclubs, you know, places like that, bad guys, stuff like that. This one's more of a uh, kind of more of an optimistic uh, really much more so than Throne of Blood, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I like the kind of themes of this movie a lot. I mean, it's really very much about the overcoming of odds and things like that. I mean, and it really is weird. I mean, we talked about it off the air a little bit and stuff. There are some very quirky moments in the film. Uh, namely, from the beginning, you get a great tracking shot and you get down to the singing tracksuit guy, as I like to call him, singing tracksuit, <laughs> which I loved, by the way. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's quirky from the get-go and stuff. And at first I thought, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to like this film because it seems kind of weird. And uh, maybe it's like Johnny Toe doing uh, a little bit of Lynch or maybe or something. You know, what it was he doing here? But then as it went on, uh, I really got into it and stuff. And it really comes down to some really great action scenes and some great moments uh, between characters. Um, it is the third Toe film we talked about. Probably, the, obviously, to this point, the most different one. We talked about Vengeance, which we saw at uh, TIFF last year. And uh, people are now starting to see that a little bit more. Uh, I guess it's more available out there, quote unquote. And uh, we talked about uh, Exiled, correct? I'm correct on those two, I think. Yes, you are. So you know, we talked about those and stuff. And, and his films not nearly as epic as like a Kurosawa and stuff, but uh, they're very, very good. What's the way to explain? I, I don't think this is an insult to say this. I think his films are very, very, very good B movies. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the best way to describe Johnny Toe in a lot of ways. I don't know if he makes, I wouldn't say he makes big budget. Maybe, maybe I'm saying that. Maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe because in his country, maybe know. he does. But it just seems like, economical. I mean, his whole company, Milky Way, was founding, founded on making quality films on a on a on a you know budget that that's not extravagant. And we've talked about this before with Toe. I know I talked about it with the Vengeance reviews that he does a whole lot with very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really, I mean, he does a lot. And then this is manages almost like the Kurosawa film we talked about. He manages to tell this kind of almost like epic story on a very small scale uh, with some of the things that happen and stuff. Uh, I like the musical choices in the film, but some of them, there was a couple that were kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. There were some strange yeah. ones. And I'm not talking about the karaoke, uh, which, you know, that's one thing itself. I mean, this is Asian cinema. I'm, I'm used to characters all of a sudden jumping into and singing a song or having a karaoke scene that's that's nothing new but i'm talking about some of them like the music when all three of the r lee characters are riding the bus and oh, yeah. some of that stuff it's like what the fuck is this yeah <laughs> you know it's it's, very, it's like a, almost like a quirky comedy you know kind of weird so uh the film but it has this 80s action feel and i think it has to do with the way he the way it's lit and the way some of the music is some of the music's got this like almost jazzy like 80s action movie kind of feel and it's really lit like uh, from above with some harsh lighting during some of the fight scenes and stuff. And it looks really, really fantastic and uh, like something straight out of the 80s with uh, the way they used to shoot action and stuff. I mean, this is obviously better shot than some of the 80s action movies are. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, that's not saying anything, but we've come a long way from 80s action to 2000s. But the feel of it, I don't know if it was the fluorescent lighting, some of the harsh lighting or some of the fights on the streets, rooftops, whatever you want to say. But it had a very... 80s feel done in the aughts, so to speak, uh, in the way it was set up and the way it did its action and stuff. And I really like that. And what I really liked about it is, is we don't, we, we've done some kung fu movies, but we've never really done a judo film that really talks about the, the kind of benefits and, and the art of judo. And well, there uh, haven't been too many made, in fairness to us. <laughs> yeah, it is true. And uh, really, the, the amazing thing is, is the judo is, unlike kung fu in, in some ways, judo is almost like an art form. 
and the way it has reversals and 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 strategy and things. And I'm not saying it's better than kung fu, karate, whatever you want to say, because a lot of people are going to get them all mixed up. You know, a lot of people just think you know there's people fighting, so it's a kung fu movie. It doesn't matter if it's judo, what, what style it is, or whatever. But what I loved about this one was is that they the fighting was it was like it was it was important to the character's personal belief, and you re- it really comes through. And I, I really like that quite a bit. Uh, this might be one of the most visual toe films I've seen yet. I mean, he does a lot of stuff visually that I've always liked. I mean, I like the slow motion stuff and and everything else. But uh, in this one, you almost don't need you don't even need dialogue almost in some of these scenes. I mean, he tells his story with just visuals, and uh, it's some pretty amazing work actually. When I think about it, I mean, it's some, some pretty really you know. And as the film went along, the more and more we got in, I got into it. The more and more I was almost like, I wish the characters almost wouldn't talk to each other. I wish they would just kind of just keep doing what they're doing because I love the scenes where characters are just looking at each other and a lot is said without anything being said. That That's Toa. I mean, he's so strong visually mm-hmm. that yes. he, he trusts in his strength as a visual storyteller, which, you know, as should be said, as we often lament the death of, of modern American theater film, uh, the, you know, meaning multiplex film is the the lack of faith that that a lot of filmmakers have in being visual storytellers. But yeah, everything has everything here. has to be explained now. Everything. Yeah. yeah. All of our characters have to have bad childhoods. Everything. Everything. <laughs> even even the shape has to have a bad childhood. Yeah. Remember? I mean, every everything's got to have a psychological impact, and, and you know, and that's part of our society too. That you know, we always have to find reasoning for everything because we're always looking the blame at blame game. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, I don't think you need, you know, like in, in the sense of, you know, you're the shape you're talking about. We don't need 30 to 40 minutes of explanation <laughs> as to why that character's that way. Really, only, you know, like in the original Halloween, you only really need a, about five minutes and you yeah. can pretty much go from there. Um, yeah, he does dedicate the film to uh, to Kurosawa. And again, we talked about, you just talked about this. The judo is, you know, maybe not that common in cinema. It's really amazing to me. Uh, that it isn't more common, actually. I don't know why it is, or why it isn't, I should say. I don't know why it's not more common, actually. I, I don't know. It's it's weird to me. I guess maybe because, you know, some of the other forms are more theatrical. Yeah, I think they, they give a little more visually. This one, you know, once you get down to the throws and the reversals and stuff, it's pretty good. But this really is about throws, judo. And, yeah, you know, there's not a lot of striking and put, punching and kicking. It's really about holds and... Yeah. That sort of stuff, and, and it sets it up self really, really well with the uh, three hundred and twenty pound guy getting thrown. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and from that point, that's the first throw you see, but it won't be the last and no. stuff. But it, it's pretty great, you know. Um, it's really interesting, and that's what I would always get from Toe. I always get the feeling that he's like a B movie blend of Kurosawa and Wu, and, and Melville, and yeah, and Melville, and uh, you, know, you can't, you can't, you know, we can't argue about Melville. I mean, you know, Wu's very influenced by Melville and stuff, so Toe's in there too. Uh, but, you know, as time's gone on, and you're really the one that introduced me to Johnny Toe, I've always known his films are out there, but I never got around to watching them and stuff. But as time's gone on, his filmography is very interesting because unlike Wu, who kind of his quality, and we talked about this at the feedback a little bit, his quality of filmmaking kind of goes up and down. And I think he's back now a little bit and stuff, and I'm hoping that he kind of capitalizes on the filmmaking he's been doing lately. Uh, maybe not with Epic so much, but with, you know, just getting back to being John Wu. Because, you know, his strengths, it's like Peckinpah. You know, when Peckinpah got away from being Peckinpah, which was only slightly, but he still he got away from it a little bit, you know, with Convoy. And, you know, there was bits and pieces of Peckinpah in there. Uh, of course, you know, he probably wasn't on set that often. But <laughs> either way, I mean, there's bits and pieces in there you can tell her Peckinpah, and then there's bits and pieces in there you can tell her somebody else, right? James Coburn in that case. But with Toe, I've always felt his through line 
in films that I've seen so far is very consistent. Yeah, that's, that's him, man. He, his output, I find, you know, it tends to go from 7 to about an 8.25, 8.5. He's very solid. You're, you, you, you know, you're usually not going to be terribly let down by him. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you're always going to be satisfied because he, he, send, he tends to stay right in his ballpark, right in his wheelhouse at all times. And he's not going to – it's not that he's not scared to experiment because this is totally different than some of his other films. But he, he manages to somehow stay in that quality zone that he knows, and he doesn't seem to go outside of it. Now, I'm not saying he never will. I mean, he's a filmmaker. God knows he – next thing I know, he could make a romantic comedy. He could make anything. I mean, that's fine. That's his, that's his choice. But I love that his through line has seemed, has seemed to have been so high in quality. And, uh, you know, he's done very well with that. Also, uh, there was one other thing I was going to say. I can't remember what I was going to say. I was going to say something else. Shit, I forgot. But uh, <laughs> uh, I hate that. I hate when I forget stuff. <laughs> I know, The, the older I get, the more I forget. And uh, I, I can't stand it. Actually, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. It just hit me. A while back, I sold uh, a bunch of my CDs, right? Because I had, didn't have space for them. And I had all this music laying around. And I wasn't using them. They were all on my iPod. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get rid of these because they're just sitting around gathering dust and they're taking up space in my house. So I got rid of a bunch of them, for, forgetting that I had a bunch of them autographed. <laughs> oh, no. And I just, you know, I just gave them away. So they're out there in the ether somewhere. Somebody has autographed copies of all kinds of things. <laughs> oh. So, you know, it, it, luckily, as the older I get also, I don't take a lot of, uh, I don't, except for some things, I don't really take a lot of personal pride in what I collect anymore. I've gotten kind of away from that. I'm trying to get away from that because I'm a, I'm a notorious collector. And so I've tried to kind of whittle that back over the past 10 years uh, because it was just becoming too much. But this the other day, yesterday, literally yesterday, I was riding in my car and something came on my iPod. And I was like, yes, I have that. I have that CD and I have it autographed. And I'm like, whoop, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those moments of, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I can't believe yeah, I did I that. <laughs> I totally forgot about it, man. I literally forgot about it, you know. So whatever it is, what it is, life keeps going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that Toe, uh, and that was a total tangent there. I think Toe that uh, his through line is is very impressive, and I think when he's when it's all said and done, he'll end up being very influential and very important filmmaker. Also, I want to say that I think we might have said this in the Vengeance interview uh, review, but uh, we were close to greatness. We we tried. To, I remember we tried to get in there and get a picture with Mister Toe, but there was all these uh, Canadian. Uh, he has a huge fan base in Canada and Toronto, especially, right? Oh yeah, huge. Yeah. And uh, they were just swamping this guy. And Will and I were trying to get in there. A couple of, <laughs> a couple of honkies trying to get in there <laughs> to get our a picture. Of Guaylo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it didn't shake out. It's funny you say that because I just told my wife last night because she started watching it with me. Um, she was taking notes. I was giving her rubbing her legs because she's pregnant. She's a little tough. But I said to her the same thing. Man, we came so close to getting. And that picture with Johnny Toe, man, it broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, we, you could tell we were both let down a little bit as we were walking out. You know, it was like, because yeah. ah, uh, Colin Geddes, so you know, grabbed him. They couldn't keep him there for long because everybody, he had so many fans there at that screening of Vengeance. I mean, it was packed. And, yeah, uh, and it's... He, he was, he's very popular there. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just really nice to see a filmmaker like Johnny Toe get the respect he deserves. That's the one thing I really uh, was uh, impressed by. The, you know, oh. you know when you go to a film festival anyway, it's a certain kind of crowd, but you don't really see that kind of uh, fandom for a Johnny Toe yeah. as you would for like a uh, George Clooney. Which you sh- well, in our opinion, of course, it, it's you certainly should because yes, you know, I, I you felt that 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 buzz go through the crowd when he came in the room though, and 
the big cheer and stuff. I just wish we had a throwing elbows like Charles Barkley to get closer okay. for the picture, man. But being the gentleman we were, we didn't. Yeah, and there was a lot of young ladies getting their picture taken with him and stuff. And uh, I, I didn't feel like you know we could have maybe we could have bull trucked our way in there, but it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. No. So, but it was interesting because Johnny Halliday was there too, and Johnny Halliday is known as the French Elvis. So. Or maybe you know similar to the French Elvis. That's how popular he is, and here he is, this this legend of rock and roll, and everybody was kind of into seeing him and stuff. Of course, he left, I think, but you know, then Johnny Toe gets introduced, or when Johnny Toe got introduced, it's like the place went fucking bananas. But then when Johnny Halliday gets introduced, it was like, hey, you know, it's Johnny Halliday. It was a polite kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, collab, you yeah. know, the Wolf the Goblin wolf, King. The Wolf Goblin King had to eat a small child, so he had to leave. Uh, <laughs> yes. Leave the Yes, yes, yes. I have actually on my Netflix Instant Queue, I have another holiday film I'm going to check out at some point in time where he plays a gangster. Oh, yeah. Let me know how it is because I've been meaning to uh, to check those out uh, as I'm getting duped into opening the uh, computer door once more. <laughs> you're falling You're falling for it. I am falling for it. <laughs> hey. Okay, you got to be cool, though. Be, speaking of George Clooney, man, it's be cool. Be yes, cool. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. That's all I got on uh, Throwdown. Uh, this uh, actually, you know, we. How do you pronounce the original name of this? Yao Do Lung Fung Bong. Yao Do. What's that? How do you pronounce this? The original title, the real title, Yao Do Lung Fu Bong. Yao Do Lung Fu Bong, I believe. Nice, nice. Sounds like a. Uh, sounds like a lung disorder. <laughs> On a light note there. No, but uh, yeah, this is really great to see this because this is totally not the kind of film I thought it was going to be. You, you told me that we were going to do this, and I was like, okay, another Johnny Toe. I know what I'm going in for. I didn't look up anything about it. I just threw it in started watching it, and I was like, what? Pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. So I'll let you go over your notes. Okay. Um, as always, you know, very well shot. The film opens with this kind of interesting... It's kind of in these reeds of this grass, and it's kind of laying low, and then it shoots over the top of the grass and pulls out over top of the people and right into the city. And the thing I love the most about Johnny Toe and his films is, I've maybe not the most, but one of the things I always love is how well he captures Hong Kong. Yeah. How well he captures it, whether it's at night specifically, kind of with this slow, steady camera moving all around the city. It, it just, you know, it just he captures it so beautifully. Yeah, you know, and even the date. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. You know what he does? He does what uh, what I think Michael Mann does well and what Scorsese does well and sometimes Woody Allen does well. He manages to capture the city in a way that makes you want to go there. Yeah, totally. Totally. And he makes these kind of um, these high rise kind of dilapidated apartment buildings in Hong Kong that were probably built in the 40s look romantic almost and really cool. Yeah, because there's been some films I've seen about Hong Kong that make me think I never want to go there, ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. But the nighttime, he really captures. There's a really vibe to it. It really, you know. <laughs> not, not, no, not that bad. Um, <laughs> nice. I, think I guess I he doesn't like the, the, the Johnny Toe shoot in Hong Kong at night stuff as much as I do. <laughs> More of a man shooting Los Angeles kind of guy. Um <laughs> But even the daytime stuff, I mean, he gets kind of the low hustle bustle of the of the city, people walking around, and then he'll pull the camera right up top over the rooftops and, you know, a lot of staircases and stuff like that. And just, you know, really great stuff, man. Like you, a man that, that loves the city, he, he shoots in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, what was I going to say here? Oh, there's a drinking game that when the film first starts, Louis Koo is playing. 
I should be said this film features Aaron Kwok, Louis Koo, not a lot of the Milky Way regulars like the Simon Yams and the Lamb Suets and stuff, but um, I guess Louis Koo is a little bit of a regular. He was in Election 1 and 2 and so forth. Yeah. Uh, more for his tan than his ability to act usually. But um, <laughs> yeah, He does have a nice tan. He does have a great tan, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of there's some good character actors here with some of the older gangsters and stuff. Actually, Tony, the other Tony, Big Tony, Tony Lung Kai Fai is in this. Plays Lee Kong, the uh, the judo master. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's a good actor. He um, is. He is good. But um, I, there's that drinking game they're playing, and I've played that a few times, and I, I still have no idea how it's played. Where they would go sup sup, and you do like these numbers with your hands, and it's uh, it never ends well for me. Yeah, that uh, that Tony Lung Kai Fai, he's doing that uh, Bruce Lee film. I wonder, I don't know who's directing that. Bruce Lee film. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just called Bruce Lee. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't Bruce it have anything attached to it there? No, uh, this is uh, it just says the life story of uh, uh, Bruce Lee, of action icon I Bruce Lee, and has no director attached or anything, but it's in production. It just has him attached to it. Interesting. I wonder if he's going to play Bruce Lee. Um, I don't know. I don't think he would. He's a little old. He's in yeah, his early fifties, I think. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know if it's a, don't man. know if it's an American project. It doesn't look like it's an American project. He's yeah, a, I don't he, think he's worked in America. I mean, he worked in a couple European things, I believe. Uh, yeah, but that's as far as he's went outside of Hong Kong. I think. Well, I remember him in uh, Dumplings, <laughs> the uh, one of the three extreme stories. Dumplings, he's in that. And... Yeah, he plays the husband actually in Dumplings. It's funny. <laughs> oh, bad cough. It's funny. Dumplings <laughs> came up because. I was just talking to Loaf about how disgusting dumplings was. It was, it was. it was disgusting, wasn't it? Yeah, it's really good, but it's pretty nasty stuff. <laughs> oh, it Actually, is. I mentioned it after we, I watched um, a Serbian film. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, dumplings is not one I like to revisit either. No. <laughs> no He's in definitely. a film I actually wanted to put on our roadmap at one point, which was uh, Prison on Fire, but I never got around to it. Oh, we should. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, I think, there's, I think there's two Prison on Fire films. Uh, I see the problem is there's a lot of on fire. There's... City on Fire, which I think is Ringo Lamb. Uh, there, there's a lot of them. Um, um, Louis Koo. One thing he's kind of criticized for a lot is, and he's actually pretty pretty good in this one. Is he overacts sometimes, like when he's drunk? But he was okay in this one because there's a film he does, Protege, with with Andy Lau. Uh-huh. It's about drug dealers and stuff, and and he he's like a heroin addict, and he's strung out, and he's just, I mean, he's like really bad and. The kind of the kind of strung out parts. Yeah, yeah. Kind of hangs himself out to dry. Um, but yeah, you know, you talked about the lighting in this film. It's really fantastic. To almost kind of illuminate, almost does this kind of illuminating spotlight on on people. Yeah, yeah, that's what I liked. I mean, it's obviously. I mean, if you sit around and think about it, it makes no logical sense the way the the way the lights hit people. No, but it looks so great. It's so stylized. It looks so fantastic. And I started to fall in love with it more and more. Uh, it reminded me a little bit when we covered the uh, Samuel Hung Donnie Yen film with the lighting. What was that called? Oh, the Wilson Yip uh, yeah. SPL. Yeah, yeah. When we covered that, it reminded me of that that the the stylization started to just kind of suck me in more and more and more. And what yeah. what turned into a film that I thought started kind of slow, I started to love it more and more and more as it went along because the style really brought me into the story more than the story brought me into the story. Oh, for sure. Which can happen sometimes, and I think this is a great example of how style can kind of grab you. And suck you in. Oh, absolutely. This film really is about style a lot of ways. I, that being said, I'd love to see some of Johnny Toe's films on Blu-ray, man. Oh, yeah. This would be fantastic on Blu-ray. A lot oh. of his stuff would be fantastic on Blu-ray. I think Vengeance is on coming out on Blu-ray. So, Even though that's not you know 
upper tier toe, I'd still like to see it on in Blu-ray. Oh, for sure. Um, I have to ask you, as an aside, what am I looking at? All the movies you're pulling off the shelf again? Nice. Um, <laughs> did you see the diesel the diesel ad? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought of you. I thought you would. I had to ask. Um, uh, you know what, what? Since you've been gone, there's been a... I guess the the birth of a new staple of the GGTMC, and that's the saxophone. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like every time I, I listen to the show, you guys were talking about some sax. Yeah, it's like the show got a little saxier. Um, well, the show's always been saxy. Yes. I mean, as you know, with an E. <laughs> the, the saxy has, uh, has increased because in this one, Aaron Kwok plays the sax out of nowhere. He pulls a saxophone out and starts playing it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I mean, it just comes, it, just, it does, it literally comes out of nowhere. Where's he, where was he keeping that sax? <laughs> yeah, it's really, uh, it's really bizarre. But you know, a lot of people talk about, um, Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. And you know, one, one influence I couldn't help but feel was some of the, especially the nightclub stuff, because a lot of times when I think of Japanese films in a nightclub setting, I think of Seijun Suzuki. Yes. And I couldn't help but think of a bit of a Suzuki, especially because it's a jazzy nightclub. Yes. You know, I couldn't uh, help but think that. Um, there is a little bit of homoeroticism on display here. I mean, Kwok really, or no, uh, yeah, Kwok really gives uh, Louis <laughs> Koo the look of love uh, on the bus, man. <laughs> oh, yes, it was a great moment. <laughs> I was I was sitting there watching by myself and I'm I'm rocking a baby and I'm like uh ooh, that was almost slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, I was like, that's the look. That's the look. I mean it was really, yeah, just to the point of like, well, he's really letting it linger, man. Um this is just an observation. There's a moment one of the you you get quirky characters in this. Um, you know, like video game playing mobsters, jazz club owning degenerate gambling judo masters. Mm -hmm. Um one of the scenes takes place in like this 70s Southern California diner with Hawaiian music. Right. Just It really is about impulsive kind of stylistic choices. But as an aside, I used to hate people when I used to go to arcades. I used to hate, uh, I'm not going to swear because my son's in the room, poop talkers. <laughs> yeah, poop talkers. Yes. Nothing I worse than a, good, than a bad poop talker. Oh, I'd hate it. I was like, just shut up and play, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah. Back in the old days of arcades, and I guess this still goes on in, the, in Asia and stuff because arcades are still big there. But I do remember in North America, and I guess this permeated itself into Canada. Obviously, that uh, you know there was some I can say shit talkers uh, in the arcades and stuff, and they really did take away from the pleasantry of going to an arcade. And it's 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 amazing people when people lament the end of arcades. Uh, I think they forget sometimes that uh, one of the reasons why it ended is because I think people st stopped wanting to go to an arcade just to be fucking berated uh, yeah. by somebody else who knew how to play Street Fighter better than them. No, it's true. It just—it was just like, oh, if I wanted to put a quarter in Street Fighter, I didn't want somebody behind me giving me commentary the whole fucking time I was playing it. No, no, exactly. So, um, I had to laugh kind of at the delivery of the one gangster when Aaron Quox really animated playing the video game, and it's a dupe, but he's like. Just to kind of this dry delivery, like, calm down, are you on drugs? <laughs> yeah, it was it was ridiculous. I was sitting there watching five video games. What the fuck's wrong with this guy? Yeah. No, 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 leave that, please. Okay. Um, there's a pretty nasty little moment with a box cutter in this that I thought we were going to see a few times, but we didn't. Yeah, that was a great moment. I thought that was going to be that guy's, like, signature. Yeah. And what he does and stuff. And it is a nasty moment. It really made me, made me uh, cringe because I've been cut by box cutters, and it fucking hurts. And the way this one hits, a uh, way it's so nonchalant, I guess is the way the way it's so matter of fact, just really bothered me. 
Yeah, because you see the hand close up of it. He extends it. You hear that? Like that? Like it extends? Oh, it's just terrible, and, uh, man. Okay, time to go, baby. <laughs> you hear that? You know, you see it extend, and uh, it's just really. Uh, I guess he's grown bored of. Or maybe. William, please, please, just a moment. I gotta finish my show. Hang on. This has been the toughest episode ever. <laughs> Come here, baby. Um. He's he's welcoming me. He's welcoming me back. Now, everybody's welcoming me back. Little William hasn't yet. He's welcoming me back. Um, yeah, hang on here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I notice in this, Jonathan uses uses staircases a lot in films. Yes. You yes. know, he seems to use them a lot. Um, there's a really fantastic. I won't say too much about it, but a, a fantastic slow motion judo barroom brawl. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk about that more in my make or break. It's fucking yeah. amazing. I, I won't talk about it then too much either. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the worst singing in the history of cinema a few times in this film. Are you talking about the female or are you talking about tracksuit? Tracksuit. The Tra- guy in the tracksuit. Yeah, my wife liked it too. Yeah, tracksuit is awful. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. It's pretty, I mean, it, it's bad in a great way. It's, it's one of those quirky moments that really, I mean, that's how the film opens. It comes down this pan shot, you got somebody doing judo in the, in the hot, tall weeds there, and then, you know, yep. you go right to tracksuit singing a little bit. Again, we open. We have two films in a row that open literally with uh, choruses. This uh, it's really interesting that we pick these two films without knowledge of how closely they're tied together in some ways. Other than yeah, surface stuff. Um, the one thing I like about when we first see Tony Lung Kai Fai is he comes, I think, to the nightclub, and he has this line where, and it should be said, this film is a celebration of judo. It's really not, and, and as much as judo itself isn't about violence or anything. This film isn't a very violent film, other than maybe a couple moments. No, it's it's more it's a celebration and an appreciation of of judo and the spirit it, and competitiveness of it. Yeah, and the, the almost really? the art form of it. I mean, like I said before in my in my bit of the review, kung fu and karate and all these things we call it, and when we we rope a lot of stuff into that, it's all an art form in one way or another. I know it's a violent art form, but it's still an art form, and this one really looks at it seriously and really appreciates judo for what it is. So. I really did like that a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, th- there's that moment when Tony Lung Kai Fai comes to the the jazz club and he says to Aaron Kwok's character, he says, "And I've heard you going around challenging anyone." Or he says something where he says to him, "You know, come to my uh, come to my school and or come see me sometime." Or he says something as if to say, "You want a challenge? Then you're on." And he kind of gives him a little wink, and it was kind of a cool a cool moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it just he's you know I, I can't really convey. I it. just I really like that. Um, Neon, I think, always works well in, 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 you sort of talked about this in Johnny Toe films, this, the neon just looks brilliant, uh, the way he shoots it in Hong Kong. It just, I think neon lends itself very well visually, especially obviously with the contrast at night, which is when you turn on a neon sign. Yes. Um, like there's that one, again, I won't say too much, you know, I won't say too much about it, but the neon is used to great effect in to both of our maker breaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one moment at the arcade when a one-armed, uh, not one-armed, but the use of one arm. A gangster's playing air hockey, and I hope that the judo dummy he was using, meaning his his underling, had hip pads in. Yeah, yeah. Because that guy gets flipped on the floor about eight times in a row. Yeah, that has to hurt. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, what else do I got here? Um, there, you keep hearing the one character, the the singing guy, the tracksuit guy, talking about. Hi, he goes. I'm. Uh, you say I'm. I'm Senhiro Sugata. 
you will be Higaki. And that's a callback. Again, I didn't know this. I had to look it up, admittedly. I knew there was clearly something to it, though, especially considering there were Japanese names. Mm -hmm. I figured there's got to be the Kurosawa connection here. Sure enough, uh, Sugata is the name of the, the lead character in the first film Kurosawa ever did, that judo film. Oh, nice. Higaki is one of the central characters, so... Yeah, I knew there would be a callback there to that. I just I didn't know it, so I had to look it up. So that was kind of cool. Um, I have to wonder how this film was received in Hong Kong. It features a celebration of a Japanese filmmaker, um, and I know uh, Kurosawa was pretty much loved the world over. But you know, obviously because of Nan King and everything else, I have to wonder how a Japanese martial art. And a film that's a celebration of a Japanese artist was received in Hong Kong. Yeah. Anyone who's maybe in Hong Kong, uh, let us know. I'd be very, very interested to see how that was received. Um, we can see one-armed push-ups. Aaron Kwok. I didn't know he had it in him. Good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time I see one-armed push-ups, I immediately think of Sylvester Stallone. I think of him training in Siberia with a beard or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, I immediately think of him. I can't, I, I don't know what it is. He's become synonymous. And you're right, it was synonym, I think. Yeah. He's become synonymous with the one arm push up for me. I know he's not the first or the last person to do the one arm push up, but no. you know, I always hear bum, 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 bum. Yeah, and then he, I think he even does them in those yellow satin short shorts, too. Well, his 80s stuff, he does them whenever he can because he has to show that he can yeah. do them. It's like yes. uh, Frank Stallone had to always have a guitar. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, man. <laughs> just, just, just because he can. Well, speaking of guitars, Louis could, Louis Koo rocks a guitar in this film. Yes, yes. Music yeah. uh, music plays a big part in this movie. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I love the Kurosawa nod at the end. The visual, the last moment, a nod to Japan's flag. Yes. I love that moment. And then it immediately says, you know, a tribute to Akira uh, Kurosawa, the greatest filmmaker. Yes, and uh, it's just fantastic, man. I really, you know, like I said, it's a quirky film. I think everyone should be forewarned that it's it's outside of his kind of criminal stuff. That's a little more hard boiled, gritty. This is a quirky film with some odd humor, but it exists in its own universe. And I think if you can get into that universe, you'll, you'll dig it. But I'll kick it over to you for make or break. Yeah, and also I'd like to add uh, what you said there. I think people ought to look at it too. That it's not your typical kung fu movie. It's more of a drama with some judo involved and, and kind of a comedy in spots. And it's, it's really interesting. It's not your typical action. So for those of you out there, and, there, and I'm sure there are listeners of ours that don't really like kung fu films or the kung fu action films or any of that stuff, you might want to give yeah. this one a little ring-a-ding-ding, as uh, uh, Frank Sinatra used to say, because uh, I think you might dig this one a little bit more. There's actually one of the user reviews I was reading while you were talking. is the Hong Kong Fight Club. I think that person gets it. I think that person that reviewed it, whoever you are, got it totally wrong. Sorry. I don't, yeah, really, I don't really feel like it's Fight Club at all. I think Fight Club is is making a statement on violence as a, as a force. This one is making and a, the masculinity and a yeah. lot of other things. And this one's kind of making a statement as you know a fighting form as you know appreciation for what it is. So, I think they, well, exactly. I think they got it wrong. <laughs> but hey, and I think you know this film is a celebration of that, and everyone knows judo, but it's just kind of that world. That's the world they live in. It's a little bit you know slightly different from ours. It but, reminds yeah. me, you know what? You know what would be a good double feature with this is Red Belt. Yeah, you know, I thought of that too, man, because that's a judo film, actually. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we both yeah. liked Red Belt quite a bit. You know, and I mean, yeah. it wasn't great, but it's pretty damn good. And uh, you know, the, the 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 appreciation of the form of judo is in that film as well. So, absolutely, man. All right, so um, okay, so uh, my make or break for this one is going to be the bar fight, uh, slow motion bar fight with singing tracksuit. <laughs> I just love calling him singing tracksuit, uh, but. Uh, 
yeah i love that i mean that's just fantastic that's really a lot of style a really great stuff it's slow motion it's almost like a ballet uh, yeah, it looked fantastic. I mean, it just looked fantastic. You know, it, it was well done, well edited, and you know, just Johnny Toe at the top of his form there. Uh, my score for the film is going to be a seven point seven five out of ten. I like this one a lot. Uh, this is really, really good. I almost could go to eight because the more I talk about it, the more I like it. I think this is going to be one I'm going to revisit often. So uh, I'll say my score is a seven point seven five officially, but it, it leans toward an eight. I, it's right in there. It's right in there because it's really, really good. And this is the, the important thing is, is I think this is a very rewatchable film, you know. Unlike a Serbian film, <laughs> this is yeah. this is very rewatchable, and I could see myself revisiting this one, you know, often uh, as I with most Toe films, I, you know, I could revisit them over and over and over again. It's a nice, you know, nice length, ninety four minutes long. It's it's just about just about right. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Maybe TM will go with Toe on this one. The acting in some spots, even though you know Toe is responsible for that too, I liked uh, some spots. I thought it was a little little wonky some spots yeah. you know it is what it is but nobody really stands out in the cast so much no. uh, the music doesn't stand out other than the fact that sometimes it's really really good i mean really good and then sometimes it's really really quirky and odd and the quirky and odd stuff almost took me out in some spots uh, it's almost like almost like like old school comedy music it's like wah, 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 you know all kinds of weird shit going on i'm like what the fuck is this man it's like the like the band in the Star Wars Cantina or something going on in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it does have a really quirky feel in spots. Absolutely, yeah. but that's a weird thing, man. Toe, as much as he makes these really masculine films, sometimes he's prone to making quirky films. Like I said, that one he made with um, uh, with Andy Lau, Running on Karma, where he plays he wears a, a foam muscle suit, plays a former bodybuilder uh, and Buddhist monk turned male stripper named Big. <laughs> Or named Biggie, where he—it's just—it's a bizarre film, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes Asian directors, you know, they kind of give that. Anyway, we talked about that when we talked about Mother too, as well. I mean, you know, there's these weird comedy bits, and they, their mm-hmm. their sense of comedy and the way they mix it in can be a little odd sometimes. And maybe that's just North American film lovers looking at films from other countries, but it does seem kind of odd in spots. But I mean, it works. It works well. You know, I mean, the score's still high and everything. But I, I think this is another one of Toe's really good films, and. uh I don't really ever see. I don't think I've ever scored a toe film lower than. I know I've never scored one lower than a seven. So, the three we've done on the show, I know have all been above seven. So, and I, I don't know if I don't know if the guy's made a bad movie yet. <laughs> no, well, I mean I haven't seen a lot of his early, early stuff that was more varied in terms of genres. But everything he's done from probably around two thousand, two thousand two upwards, I I own. So. Good stuff, man. But yeah, I really liked it a lot, man. So good pick. Let's listen to what you got to say about it. Very similar to you, the slow motion scene at the jazz club, the fight scene. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It takes place inside the the uh, the jazz club. Looks great. They take it outside. The camera pulls up and you see all the neon and the buildings. And Yeah, that's something I didn't amazing. bring up. That's amazing, too, that they come outside and the camera pulls up. It's, it's just amazing. Really incredible, and that leads me into my MVT, the cinematography, man. Oh, nice, fantastic! Well, you could go film. that route. I don't know who the cinematographer was. Uh, Chinese homegrown talent. He shot a few other films for Toe. Really, really good cinematographer, man. Really good. Nice. Um, my score for the film is is identical to yours, man. I don't think this film personally. It's the second time I've watched. It. I don't think it's quite an eight. Um, you know, it's it's a really good film though. And like I said, as long as you can get into the kind of universe of Throwdown and accept some of the quirks and and stuff for what they are because it deals with a lot of uh, larger themes and it's not too interested in theme or character development more just kind of the mood and you know it, it's it's good stuff though man i'd say if you're looking for something a little different uh 
from a martial arts or a Johnny Toast standpoint, this this film should serve you well. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, so that is our review of Throwdown. We are going to take a break, and we're going to come back. And we got a lot of listener feedback, uh, so we got a lot of feedback to go over and cover. So we will be back right after this. Popsyndicate.com. Popsyndicate.com. Reviews of all the hottest movies, music, authors, comics, books, and more. Popsyndicate.com. Home of the Pop Syndicate message boards and the best media-related podcasts and internet radio in the world. Check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com. Listener feedback, and uh, for those of the for those that are curious, uh, that is actually my intro music when I wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my tights have flames on the front and back. Oh, naturally, like Billy Gunn back in the day. And uh, you got this a lot of a whole lot of sequins on those tights. Yes, and a lot of baby powder underneath of them. <laughs> yes, certainly. <laughs> to avoid the chafing. Uh, for those yes. of you, those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, you uh, know that we record our feedback first, so. It's really weird to come back to the show in some capacity. I got to say this in some capacity and, and and start doing feedback immediately. So <laughs> it's really a strange feeling. So, all right, I'm ready because you because like you said, you expected and expected, but you you know you envision that you when you come back, you want to say a lot and mm-hmm. thank people. You expected to kind of do the podcast version of um, yeah. of Maurizio Merli busting through the door, going, "I'm here, I'm back, <laughs> yeah, I'm here." It's like, thanks, thanks, Brazil. Thanks for warning me before you come through the door. <laughs> it's critical. <laughs> All right. So we do have quite a bit of listener feedback. Last night, we actually had, or yesterday morning when I left the house, we had like three voicemails. And by the time I got back home, we had 14. <laughs> it was like... Uh... It was like that playoff game between the Houston Oilers and the Buffalo Bills, and and our, our feedback section was the Buffalo Bills. Yes. <laughs> and the second half started. Frank Reich came in and just fucking blew up. Yes. It was insane, man. But um, <laughs> enough uh, late '80s, early '90s Western New York NFL talk. Let's <laughs> let, me, let me get into it. Um, okay, so actually, we have one, two, three, four emails. If I. I think I you're correct. correct. Is that right? I think you're correct. Okay, let's uh, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> the first one uh, is from uh, someone I don't I don't think it's Jay as in Michigan Jay. It's a different Jay 
who I won't disclose his name on air, but shares, shares a last name with one of our favorite uh, adult male superstars. Oh, nice. Uh, nice for him. Yes. I don't know if it's nice for me. I mean, I'm happy yeah. for him. <laughs> <laughs> and the title of his email is Real Movies. Hi, gents. Been listening for about seven months now and really love your show. You cover a lot of ground genre-wise, and I appreciate your insights and tastes. Regarding the comments from Piccolo, I think, about kids asking if a theater would show any real movies in episode 89, back in the summer of 91, my life was forever altered when I saw John Woo's The Killer at the Fulton Theater in Pittsburgh. After the film, my mind's still reeling and trying to process the cinematic awesomeness that had just unspooled before me, I stood peeing at the urinal. Into the restroom entered two frat boy types. Their brief exchange blew my mind. So what did you think of that? Do you think movie people in Japan or wherever think that's like um, a real movie? I don't know. It was some funny shit, though. At the time, I was nice. I sounded more like a guy, a cat burglar or something. You, you, sound, like, uh, uh, you sound like Todd from Show Show. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and I can assure you there's no one living in my walls. Um, at the time, I was 19, so don't be too hard on the youngins. But I am curious if the digital age was hamper, or has hampered younger folks from being interested in films from pre-2000. Wait, 1991? Fuck, that was nearly 20 years ago. Mm. All these young whippersnappers ought to be grateful for the internet. Back in the day, I had to do tape trades through a mail through the mail, buy an unsubbed fourth-generation VHS of Akira for $20 and hop like a Chinese vampire to communicate <laughs> with the clerk at the Asian grocery store that I was looking for Mr. Vampire Movies. <laughs> nice. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Jay. Uh, yeah, you know, he brings up some good points. You know, I heard you guys talking about this a little bit uh, while I was away from the show about the killer and stuff. And, you know, I was actually on Twitter and I, I guess I'm I'm in the minority here when I say this. I don't know. I've never really asked your opinion, so I'm going to go ahead and say this now. Uh, if you had to choose between the killer and hard boiled, which one do you choose? I choose hard boiled. I mean, that's okay. that's not a trendy pick, but my, um, my my only problem with hard boiled is I love the action scenes. I just don't like any of the other parts really. But I think that's a lot of his kind of heroic bloodshed stuff from that time. Is you have to be willing to get over. Um, a lot of the the melodrama, I kind of look <laughs> yeah. past that. You're saying that uh, the, there's some melodrama in The Killer and Harfoiled? <laughs> just a, a slight, slight bit. Like every time, you know, but, every time there's a pause in The Killer, a song comes on. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's it, it can be a little much, but at least you get more uh, more more pigeons in uh, <laughs> yeah. in The Killer, I believe. Yeah, doves actually. You know, the doves. Why? Sorry, I'm, I'm having a moment here in the morning. <laughs> pigeons would but, be uh, the. Uh, uh, the American John Woo movie. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe uh, Woody Allen doing John Woo throwing pigeons around. <laughs> you know what I like that people always, they, they talk about a better tomorrow and they talk about killer, they talk about hardball. A lot of people uh, forget about bullet in the head, which yes. uh, I think yes. is, is really cool too. So it's got really, st I mean, as a lot of the stuff does, a really stellar cast. So I think that, I think with those two films, hardball and the killer, they tend to identify with John Woo, which, you know, it's funny. I actually think that, you know, now he's, after watching Red Cliff recently, you know, he's a, He's actually a much better filmmaker than he's ever probably been, and uh, I would I would argue that his first, especially Red Cliff Part One, might be one of his best films overall. Period. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's really funny that the Killer and the Hard Boiled have always been so celebrated, and when there's so much other stuff in his filmography that kind of that kind of gets overlooked sometimes. It's really weird. Well, like I said, a bullet in the head. I really like it's it's fantastic. It's uh, I think it's Vietnam. I think. Um, but it's really good. I just think that a lot of times, like any, anything cinematically, 
you have to have perspective as mm-hmm. to when it came came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his the stuff. I think that the just so so influential mm-hmm. really is what it comes down to. And he brought up uh, tape trading. I've said it before on the show. It's been a while since I said it, but I used to be one of those uh, third and fourth generation copy tape trading guys. Uh, that's how old I am. And uh, yeah, I've I've seen a lot of movies. Uh, the first time I saw Cannibal Holocaust, I saw it on this grainy VHS tape. Uh, it was like a fourth or fifth generation copy that I just have this weird feeling came from some some dirty person in a basement somewhere. <laughs> the tape was even a little bit like oily or something. Uh, it, it had an odor to it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, you know, it was a weird, it was a different time. You know, I mean, people, that's the way you, if you had to, if you really wanted to hunt down movies, you had to go to a hard form. You had to go to a hard copy form of a book. And it was a great time. But at the same time, I really love nowadays that uh, I can find stuff pretty easily. And uh, pretty competently, and especially very rare stuff, because even the really rare stuff is still next to impossible to find. And unless you want to go really hard copy trading stuff, it's really next to impossible to find. See, I think this brings up two great points. I think, you know, a lot of times a lot of the old schoolers lament at how easy it is to find things. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because there is a certain nobility and a certain romanticism behind going to the ends of the earth for, for an old tape. But I think if I'm going to look at this uh, very clearly and, and without any bias, it's infinitely better now in that, you know, it's not about earning your stripes. It's about being able to pursue and access film. And we've never had a greater time right now than right now for accessing film that otherwise a lot of people wouldn't have been able to see. So I think sometimes people get too caught up in that. Uh, oh, well, you know, it's not as good. now. it's, it's better. You're right. It's, it's, it's far better now. Yeah. Because it yeah. gives people the chance to see everything they've ever wanted to see, and and people's thirst can be quenched uh, a lot a lot easier now. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, yeah, it, it, there's some of the fun in the hunt, but I think there's something to be said for being able to see a lot of these uh, these films as well. They're still hunting out there, though. I mean, which, oh, there's all yeah. There's always going to be hunting, and you know, there's always going to be films you haven't seen. Uh, you know, this one email from uh, there's two emails from Martin, but the second one is actually feedback. So don't forget that one. Uh, yes, duly noted, and uh, I will read it right now because uh, somehow I overlooked the fact that it said feedback from the Netherlands, the Netherworlds. So, and Martin, of course, uh, Martin's uh, Martiner. Martin is a partner of ours and a good friend of the show, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Good old Martiner. Uh, what's that? It's a good old Martiner. Yeah, good old Martiner. Hi, gents. Uh, it was about time I've sent in some email. Been listening for about half a year now, I think. Tried to keep a number of different. I've tried a number of different podcasts the last months, but your show and OTC are the only ones that keep interesting me. You gents really seem to know what you're talking about without becoming all semi-intellectual about it. <laughs> what I also love about the show is your choice of films. You made me watch or re-watch some action movies I didn't see since my childhood. Along the way, I've lost interest in some movie genres and focused more and more on horror only. But since I'm listening to the gents, I found myself watching stuff like Vigilante Force on the MGM channel. Nice. Okay, maybe not the best film, but I got a good GGTMC vibe off it. Yeah. I also just started watching Eurocrime. I've been selling this stuff for a while now, but I never got to it myself. I started with Manhunt, which made me want to check out more of the Adorf. I really loved him in this. Headbutting his way through the movie. Great stuff. Any recommendations regarding the Adorf? So the GGTMC has been quite an influence on my movie watching uh, and buying lately. Hope I can return the favor a little bit with our partnership by sending you some stuff I like. I'm sure I'll be sending in more feedback in the future. Only thing uh, is that I always listen while I'm working and keep forgetting what I want, wanted to write to you about. Greets, Martin. 
All right. You got some uh, more Adorf uh, for him? Well, we did Deadlock on the show. That was... The the film was interesting, to say the least, and Adorf was very interesting in it. Yeah, he's really good. Um, I think any... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he's really good in, of course, Milano Caliper 9, which we also did on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was pretty good in this one I just watched, uh, And For the Roof, A Sky Full of Stars. Um, let me just go through his filmography here. Right now, and see. Oh, Sen, uh without warning, or Sans Sommation, which is a, a French one he did. Um, I know Zom really likes. Uh, I've got it on VHS. Um, oh, uh, part of this, this School Girls in Peril trilogy that we're going to be doing. Uh, he's in What Have They Done to Your Daughters? Nice. Um, what else do we got here? Um, Short Night of the Glass Doll. I mean, he. I think, I'll be honest, anything he's in. Uh, I'll watch. You know, he's he's just become one of my favorites. Um, but with Crystal Plumage, I think if I, it's been years since I saw that. When I heard he was in it, I think he plays kind of the insane guy that's got like the chicken or the bird in a cage or something. Uh, that um, uh, I haven't seen that since. Uh, to refer back to our last feedback, since the tape trading days. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you can't really go wrong. I just think look for some titles of his and. And you know, really, you can't go wrong. He's yeah, just he's, fucking he's, he's phenomenal. Done, he's done a lot of work. I mean, and he's been in a lot of films. So uh, it's funny. I think uh, I can't remember what it was. Was it me and you were talking one time, and I was watching some film, and he popped up in it, and I was like, "Oh, that's so weird." Just Mario Adorf. I, I know. Sorry, to cut you have one more uh, of his. Uh, it's a Damio Damiani film uh, with um, Jean Maria Volante. Um, I am scared. It's called mm-hmm. or Io o Paura. Uh, really good, really, really good. Um, but yeah, I'm glad he's glad like a whack-a-mole just popping up. Yeah. <laughs> he actually is. Um, I'm like, uh, I'm happy that uh, some of these guys uh, that watch all these horror films are watching some of this other stuff because, uh, you know, uh, we said before on the show that Will and ours, you know, both of our favorite genres is, is horror, but uh, there's so much more. There's so much more out there than than horror films, and I, I love when people go outside of their comfort zone. And into stuff like Eurocrime and action, but go back and revisit action movies and stuff like that. I love when they do that. So, Oh, yeah. And I haven't seen this yet, but I just see in his filmography a, a film with the incredible title, Gentlemen in White Vests. <laughs> so. well, might have been a biography of the GGTMC. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Except ours would be Gentlemen in Leather Vests. Yes, Red Leather. At that. Red Leather. <laughs> Uh, but let's move along. We're, as you can see, we're happy to be conversing on air again, and we're we're really stretching this out. <laughs> With all due respect to our, uh, our loyal two emails, fifteen minutes. Yeah, G- so we got it. The GGTMC is back. We're back. Okay, this one is also from someone I do not believe we've heard from. Uh, case, or let me see. He goes by actually a pen name, uh, Java Devil. Java Devil says, hello, gents. I can't believe I'm finally writing in. I've been a faithful listener ever since I discovered your show back on episode three. At first, I regarded you as I would a white trash stripper giving $5 lap dances. Nice. You were just something to keep me around until I could be with my true love. No, you, Mondo said, movie. you said keep me around, but he says keep me aroused. I keep me aroused. <laughs> yes. Uh, soon, however, you became my mistress. A dirty leather clad, red leather pants, secret that knew how to please. I found myself making excuses to be with you instead of Mono Bend and Dan. <laughs> I was discovering new feelings inside me. Like why I could not get enough sweaty Italian men with mustaches. Nice. Eventually, I was forced to come clean with my love, take my shit all the way to the bowl, and admit that the GGTMC was indeed my true master. <laughs> you had fashioned a new gentleman out of my love for the rough stuff. 
thankfully our relationship, our opener relationship allows me to keep my past romance alive. Mm -hmm. But now I know where home is. I can't quit you. (laughs) (laughs) Now that that's out of the way, on to the good news. I just read that Netflix is going to offer its services to Willie and others up north starting this fall. Clean off the DVR and start building that instant queue. Nice. I'm eagerly awaiting the return of the Sammy, uh, although the recent shows have been great. I'm especially loving Rupert's interviews. I was delighted a few weeks back to hear mention of the sci-fi and horror marathons he held here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, They still have a strong following, and I attend whenever I can. Also, I found a copy of Fur Delance if you're still looking for it, Will. Oops, I got to wrap up quickly because my boss has just returned. Congrats on the new edition, Sammy. Adios, Java Devil. All right. (laughs) So that's uh, good in a lot of ways. Uh, We also like Mondo, Ben, and Dan quite a bit. So uh, that's no secret to anybody. We've listened to those guys for a long time, so... They were the first show I ever listened to, man. They're the ones that I wouldn't, as much as CD is, sorry to cut you off, by the way, Sammy, no, is, is responsible for us coming together. Mm-hmm. I would have never even gotten to CD if I never, if I hadn't fallen in love with what the Mondo guys were doing. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I read about this, this Netflix coming to, to the Great White North thing. Interesting. I didn't know that. I got to look into this and I'm going to fucking dash zip to the curb because those cocksuckers <laughs> still have no instant watch. Yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't get too excited. You don't know how that Netflix, I don't know how Instant Watch is going to work exactly and in, in up there yet, but hopefully it'll be just like, boom, turn the servers on, you guys can run like hell. Now, he mentions the DVR. Is that somehow tied in with people's DVRs? What, I don't understand what the... No, I, I think he's just talking about, you know, you cleaning off your DVR and just start building your Instant Queue, which means that, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, I mean, with your Instant Queue, you really don't always need a DVR to tape old movies. But still, there's some movies that you're going to, have to get off of uh, you know TCM and stuff like that because some stuff is just not available. But mm-hmm. yeah, but they do have Netflix does have stuff that isn't available on DVD. That's uh, fantastic. So. I, I'm really happy. Thanks for that. Uh, you'll watch. You'll you'll if once you it, once and if you do have an instant queue, will you'll find yourself watching the most fucked up stuff just because it's available. The stuff that you would never even want to watch. <laughs> I can believe it. I do it all the time. Then, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this. <laughs> And then I wonder how the, their instant watch is going to be different from yours. Hopefully, it won't be any different. Hopefully, it'll be the same. I hope not. Hopefully, they just you know flip a switch and get rolling. Uh, he's uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he might want to slide down to Whorehound Weekend. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll buy him a pint for uh, for the kind words, which was a fantastic uh, <laughs> little story he wrote there. I, I really dug that, and I know probably you did too, Sammy. So yeah, I'll buy you a pint, a frosty pint uh, for this little Netflix and the. Uh, the Ruffy story you you told. <laughs> the Ruffy, yes. <laughs> All right. But, uh, thanks for thanks for the feedback though. Thanks for the uh, congrats too. Appreciate it. I'll, I'll address that more in the intro. Yes, yes, exactly. This one is from a familiar name. Uh, it's the Olive Loaf, hmm. and uh, Olive Loaf says, "I'm glad I hitched my apple wagon to your star." Hi, gentlemen. I just started listening to your great podcast last week with reviews of Cloak and Dagger and Tango and Cash. That Rupert and Olive Loaf guy really know what they're talking about. Wow. I think the one guy from Canada is going to have to grow on me, though. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I thought I would play along this week and watch the two films you're covering. Throwdown was better than I thought it would be going in, and I'm not sure why I thought it wouldn't be. I thought the judo was intriguing to watch. The reversals are fucking amazing, but I was uh, but I was most invested in the development of Z-Tobo. Uh, uh, make or break is a scene in the bar with the three separate conversations happening simultaneously. Uh, when Z, Tobo, and Mona eventually retreat to the restroom. I could have gone to shit very quickly with the sorry director. I didn't get to finish Throne of Blood. I honestly thought I'd seen it before as I had the DVD for years. All along, I thought it was Keijimusha. <laughs> no fucking clue why that is. 
anyway, as I've experienced with most Kurosawa films, uh, with Throne of Blood, I really felt the pace was slow and that slowness weighed me down. Because of this, I've had trouble in the past and still now getting into his films, as I feel like I should be, as, uh, as I feel like I should be able to. I've not read enough about him and his style, nor actually seen enough of his catalog, probably only six or seven, and spread out over many years. Hopefully your review of Throne will finally enlighten me a bit, and if I'm uh, not putting you two on the spot too much here, maybe say a little something of why you appreciate Kurosawa in general, and what might I look forward to get into his work more than I have. Welcome back, Sammy. Hope we have kept that uh, seat nice and warm for you. Loaf, and of course, that was just, uh, that was the pickle loaf. I just was calling him olive loaf uh, yes. to poke one of his... Pickle loaf is you know. much tastier than olive loaf. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, the seat was warm, but unfortunately, you and Rupert also left it a little bit damp. So <laughs> I don't know if that was excitement or what that was. No, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. So a couple things. First, uh, I want to say thank you. I've said uh, and I'll said in the intro. You know, thanks for the guys for covering while I was out. Uh, you'll still hear more from these guys. They're not gone away completely. Uh, the role is going to be you know dialed back a little bit but they will be back on occasion and hopefully on kind of a semi-regular basis uh you know we love the guys so we you know we'll get them in there as much as possible <laughs> sounds like uh loaf missed podcasting this week so he went ahead and played along and <laughs> sent in maker breaks and everything he's fiending already <laughs> uh he is right though that guy in canada is gonna have to grow on us all uh, you brought up uh, you know some stuff with the movies you know, uh, I, you know we talked about them in review so I'm not going to go too much into it because we're already going long on our feedback and we're only through before, uh, emails in but uh, we'll we'll talk more about that uh, in the in the reviews and stuff but uh, yeah no it's it's really uh, it's good to be back really good to be back uh, very quickly I'll just say in terms of Kurosawa on the whole I just think that I, I I'm always marveling at the fact that how how simple I find his films yet how well done. In all aspects, I think that's really the thing. I mean, listen, uh, Loaf, if he doesn't work for you, give him a fair shake. Watch two or three more that are considered important of his that you haven't seen. And if you don't like him, you know, you don't like him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, not, every, not everybody likes him. I mean, uh, a lot of people just think he's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. It just, again, it's art. People are going to, you're going to, it's going to speak to you differently. I mean, I know a uh, good friend of the show uh, with terrible taste, Fake Shemp. Uh, <laughs> Thinks Citizen Kane, and as I told you, love thinks the Godfather sucks. So yeah, he also thinks know. Taxi Driver sucks. He thinks Taxi Driver sucks. Um, to, each, to each their own, though. To each their own. Though. To I'm, each not making, their own. I'm not making fun of Jay. I mean, I think that's yeah. fine. He he thinks Taxi Driver sucks. That's great. I, and of course, that was in jest. If yes. he does have good taste with a lot of stuff, but that's it. It's art. You're not going to like everything. All you can do is give it a fair shake. Yep, that's all you can do. And that's, uh, and that's it. Just like you do when you come out, you're leaving the washroom. Just give it a fair shake, and and you'll be good. Um, Make sure you wash your hands. Yes, please do. <laughs> uh, the next one is from Sleepy Chris, and it says, Okay, this is Christina, a.k.a. Sleepy Chris on Twitter. I've wanted to leave feedback, but I always just miss it. Okay, I'm going to do this bullet style, so here goes. Congrats to Sammy on the birth of his new baby, Landon, a real cutie. Thank you. Uh, great job to the subs. I'm enjoying the three-way action. Everyone gels so well, and it's been fun. Fun listening. <laughs> Fun listening. Yeah, I think it's what that's supposed to say. <laughs> yes, it looks like a German word, inexplicably. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like a film we might cover. Yes. Uh, amazing, amazing work from Rupert with the extra interviews. His interviews with some of the names in genre cinema have been very informative. There wasn't an interview where I didn't find myself writing some info down. Yes. Uh, thanks for giving my ladies appreciation pick Avenging Angel a fair rating, 6.5. I was nervous you guys were going to hate it. You guys found some good within the cheese. I love a hooker with a heart of gold story. Nice. 
catching up on old podcasts, and I love the the John Carpenter Fog episode. It's one of my favorite movies, and one of my one of Carpenter's underrated. It's not, uh, it's not one missed people think about, but it's I think so. a most. I think she, no pun intended. I yeah. think I think she meant to write most. Yes, yes. Most people think about. <laughs> but it's one I can watch anytime. My favorite scene is the beginning with the great shot of John Houseman holding the pocket watch. And there the camera pans in on him. Wonderful. That, that is the loudest pocket watch closing in the history of cinema. <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay, that's enough for me. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Remember to listen to my Texas accent on the Girls on Film Radio podcast, the podcast with a lot of meat. Nice. Keep on the awesomeness because I love it. Love, Christina. P.S. Please excuse typos. I was trying to meet your deadline. <laughs> okay. Nice. Shit from her iPhone. I like that. Yes. <laughs> That's no no problem with the typos. I do it too. So, uh, yeah, no good stuff. Uh, Avenging Angel. That was just an interesting thing to revisit. I just you know we talked about it on the show. It was just so interesting that there was so much comedy in it. I totally did not remember that yeah. as a young person. And and actually, it's really funny you mentioned the fog. Me and Will were actually we had a long conversation the other night about great genre directors and what their great films are. And and we talked about the fog again quite a bit. So, yeah, it's so strange. And and, and I said I think fog. Uh, is his second best after the thing. Uh, Sammy didn't know quite where it laid. He liked uh, Halloween the best. Um, it, it's maybe it, the- it's definitely in the top three for me. <clears throat> yeah, it's I mean, definitely it, in there. It, I just don't know the order in which it's in there, but it's in there. Yeah, and we we've said, and let's have everyone call in on this with their two cents, Sammy. We've said that we feel that arguably John Carpenter is the greatest genre director of all time. I mean, he's got seven or eight incredible films in there and varied genres. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, let us know who you think all around the best genre director is, and we'll try to debate that Carpenter's better than him. Yeah, yeah, so. I, I'd be interested to see what people come up with because once you look at the filmography, it's it's kind of hard to argue. Uh, but I would be interested in what people think. Yeah, no, definitely, and especially, and, uh, especially of his uh, of his uh, generation. That's where we got started on the conversation because we started talking about Romero, Hooper, oh, all yeah. of these, all of these uh, guys, De Palma, and, yeah. Argento, <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you start to realize how good Carpenter really is because a lot of those guys we just mentioned have seriously faded. <laughs> well, yeah, because we said if you take those four or five filmmakers and their output over the last twenty years, there wasn't isn't one very good film in there. And we said maybe Land of the Dead would be the best of that lot. And considering the heights those directors reached. It's kind of sorry, state of affairs, that the best film that between five quote-unquote masters, the best thing they could come up with is Land of the Dead. Yeah, that's why it came up. It came up because we started talking about Masters of Horror. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so. our, phone, our phone conversations literally are just like the podcast. We just keep going, and it's like, we, I never know where we're going to go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally true. Totally true. But, uh, okay, so let's... Uh, Do some voicemail. Hmm? Yeah, let's get into the voicemail, guy. All right, uh... Also, just uh, thanks, Chris. I, I, she, Christina, I thought she she asked me when uh, to get some in. I told her that we were recording at seven a.m. on Tuesday morning, so she got it in there. Right, yes. Here we go. Some voicemail. Big Willie and Samurai. This is Leather Jacket Buddha. Just want to call. I've been listening since episode number one. Big supporter of you guys. I just want to let you guys know that uh, I love your show. Uh, it brings back so many memories of uh, me and my old man getting the uh, clamshell box VHS tapes from the video store, coming home and watching some 80s barbarian movies and action movies and Filipino jungle women movies and all that and <laughs> shit I shouldn't have been watching, but that's just the old, the old man would crack a beer and he'd sit down and 
to watch these movies, and uh, your show brings back a lot of memories. And uh, I appreciate the effort. Keep up the good work. Your knowledge always just blows my mind. You guys take it easy. Leather Jacket Buddha out. Nice. LJB. Haven't heard from Don in quite a, quite a while, actually. I'll be honest. I thought he'd given up on our show. <laughs> but uh, it's good to hear from him. Actually, he sent that last week, and I actually contacted Will and requested that we hold off on it because I wanted to address it because, you know, Don's a friend from uh, – that's his real name, by the way. I don't think he minds me saying it. But uh, that's uh, he's a friend from way back, from the uh, Cinema Diabolica days and, and stuff. So for those of you that are new listeners, if they're wondering about where this leather jacket Buddha comes from, the guy comes from, that's where he comes from. He's part of our little – a little posse of fandom that was going on in CD back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I actually bought Battlefield Baseball and something else. From, I beat you to the punch by buying Battlefield Baseball. You, yes, you beat me to the punch <laughs> by buying Battlefield Baseball. I was like, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, actually bought uh, something we covered from him. I bought Chud from him, actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> But uh, it was good to hear from Don again. And uh, Yeah, no, it's good. He's been list- uh, still listening to the show and stuff. It's really good. And it does, uh, I guess that does remind you that when he said clamshell at first or clams, I started, my mind went to perverted places at first. So I was glad that I he, can imagine it would. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of glad he, uh, you know, he straightened that out for me pretty quick. <laughs> yes, but very, very, very kind words that he would harken back to his childhood days. I think that's, that really meant a lot to us. I'll be honest with you, the old clamshell boxes, I know they're great for uh, nostalgia reasons. They're actually unsafe because I think I cut my hand on clamshell boxes at least twice when I was a kid. <laughs> Yeah, and they're a bit bit of a bastard sometimes. If if um, the piece inside the clamshell gets compressed or like crumpled, mm-hmm. it's it's a fucking. And they yeah. would and they would also totally ruin your VHS shelf back in the day. Yeah, because it would just be this one kind of large awkward uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. case. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, that's good to hear from Don. So, all right, next voicemail. Here we go. Good morning, gents. It's Ben from Cine Coltania. Uh, William, quick note on the Grim One uh, tag. I liked it. It was funny. It's cool. It's funny on multiple levels because, yes, I have been having a rather shit time lately. Uh, career's going great. Everything else, not so much. So it's been a bit grim. But it's also funny because I used to be uh, fairly goth and I used to get referred to as goth Ben amongst other groups because there's you know, always a couple of bands in different groups. So I was sort of goth band then and still am a bit, even though I'm no longer goth. So Grim One was just slotted in nicely and yep, all <laughs> cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, now, Jess Franco, there's, I can't remember which book it is. There's two books I'm thinking of. Um, one's called Immoral Tales, which is an amazing guide to trashy Euro films of the 60s and 70s and 80s, I think. Um, great book. If you haven't read it, grab it. Uh, or it could be Cutting Edge, um, Art, Horror, and the Avant-Garde, which is another awesome book. Now, I have a sneak peek between the Cutting Edge quotes in Moral Tales, but I can't remember which one it's in. It's in one of these, but they're both great books, so you'll get it at different when you grab them. Um, they talk about Jess Franco and how, yes, technically he is shit and he is awful. However, his other great passion, aside from cinema, is jazz. He actually did a lot of his own soundtracks. He's obsessed with jazz. And there's a theory put forward in one of those two books, or both of them, can't remember, that his over, over, his body of work uh, is <laughs> a jazz piece. It's got its ups, its downs, its divergent bits and pieces and everything, and that you can't actually truly appreciate Jess Franco as a director until you've seen at least about ten of his films. Now, 
I haven't had the patience to do this. I've oh. seen some of his films, and I'd like some. Vampiros Lesbos, um, the horrible Dr. Orloff, the awful Dr. Orloff, sorry. Which, in Cutting Edge, there is an amazing comparative essay about uh, Eyes Wide Shut as art horror versus awful Dr. Orloff as trash horror, which is definitely worth getting. Um, yeah, anyway, this is probably going on way long. So, yes, Jeff, a crazy jazz filmmaker. Think about it. I don't know. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. Anyway, Devil Hunter. Also, Devil Hunter should be a GGTMC <laughs> film. It's awful. You'll fucking love it. Okay, bye. All right. Yes, I remember the uh, Jess Franco talk, and we've talked about it often off the air. Um, about uh, how you know his ideas are great, some of his uh, aesthetics are great, but his films not so much. Uh, he has three great loves actually: jazz, film, and marijuana. <laughs> yes, and lesbians. Oh yes. Oh, and she males. Yes. So there's uh, all kinds of good stuff going on. Which you know, I don't mean she males in a derivative way. I'm just saying that's you know that's why transvestites. But he always called them she males. But anyway. Uh, no, you know, I don't I don't really have anything to add to this conversation because I wasn't on the show talking about that, but I'll just say that uh not the world's biggest fan and I've seen probably he said you got to see about 10 of them, so that means like one year of Jess Franco's work. <laughs> yeah, cuz he's made about what about 90 films pretty much, man. Uh but you know, the, he, I I can see why some people like him. I I just can't really get into him. No. <laughs> I think uh-huh. you actually you actually watched one of his most uh his most uh, revered films, actually, Venus and Furs, or something like that. Yep. Yeah. You didn't yep. really, you didn't just, really uh, had moments, like I said, moments of genius mm-hmm. uh, that were drowning in mountains of ineptitude. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough of that. We don't really want to talk about Jess Franco again, but we might do one of his films in the show. I would like to do his uh, Christopher Lee Dracula film, uh, and hear you talk about that. That is one I actually kind of like. So maybe we'll do that. One of his women in prisons. We'll give him one last kick at the can. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, you know what'll happen? It's the same thing that happens to me every time with Franco. We'll watch something, we'll hate it. I'll say I'll never go. I'm never going back to Franco. And then a year later, I'll be like, you know what? I watched the other day. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Another yeah. just Franco film. No, <laughs> oh, I know. All right, next voicemail. Hey guys, it's Christine. Um, I wanted to call and say how much I've been enjoying all the Rupert and Piccolo. Um, coverage. It's been great hearing them. Of course, I miss Sammy, and I think this is probably a little late, because I think Sammy's already back by the time I'm leaving us. But this is the real reason why I'm calling. I am currently listening to episode 89, so that gauges how far behind I am. And I just finished up listening to the um, discussion about, oh god, I'm such an asshole, Deadly Eyes, is that what it's called? Whatever (laughs) the rat movie is. So I'm walking home from work. It's about 1 a.m., um, pretty vacant streets, and out of the corner of my eye, I see something run by. Scared the shit out of me. It was a cat, but I would have bet money that it was a gigantic rat. It has seeped that far into my brain. I think I need to see this movie, because apparently it's affected me quite deeply. Um, that's all. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Nice. Make that a double bill with uh, Claudio Fergasso's uh, rat movie. <laughs> Which I think is called Rats, I think. Uh, you might be right. I, I can't know. recall. Claudio's a great filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, good to be back, Christine. Uh, you want Anything else you want to address there with uh, Christine? Um, as much as that cat scared her, <laughs> seeing it dash into it scared her even more, I think. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, 
I tell you one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. I have a shed out back in my backyard, and I opened it up one time, and a cat ran out. Right when I opened it up, you know, a cat was in. It was a cold winter night, and a cat was in there trying to stay warm, and he ran out right past my face as I opened that shed door, and I literally screamed like Jamie Lee Curtis when that happened. I'm not. Nice. Gonna, I'm man enough to admit that that scared the living fuck out of me. That cat came oh, yeah. out quick, man. <laughs> no, for sure. See, one, one, uh, I got a zinger here. That's the one and only time I screamed at pussy. Boom. <laughs> oh yes good to be back good to be back everybody i'll be here all week <laughs> all right next voice bill hey rick and, rick and will it's rupert um calling in again in my sort of voicemail capacity um just wanted to say welcome back to rick uh and i hope everything's good with your family and uh it's good to have you back it's been my pleasure to serve on the show and i hope to appear soon again um, I just want to say welcome back. Uh, also wanted to throw out a quick plug from Mike Ensley and John Hand's show, the podcast at Reddit Sundown. Will mentioned at the end of last week's show, but I got a chance to listen to that first episode and really dug it, and I recommend it to all GGTMC listeners. I think everybody should go check out, um, you know, if you just I think it's podcast sundown. Listen.com. I don't know. I just looked up podcast that started sundown and uh, found it through uh, uh, Podcast Alley and downloaded the episode. Um, But good stuff. Um, You know, these guys have a good rapport and they know their shit, and uh, it's very interesting and entertaining to listen to them. Uh, So, uh, highly recommended. Anyway, uh, have a great week, guys. Welcome back. I really should have had the Welcome Back Cotter theme. Uh, queued up for the intro this week. I was going to do it. I honestly thought about it. I was going to send it over to you. <laughs> a little John Sebastian in. Yeah. Um, no, it's good to be back, Rup. And uh, you're right. That podcast is amazing. Good friend of the show, Mike. You'll hear a voice my friend here in a little while and started his own podcast. The podcast is Dread Sundown. I think it's sundownpodcast.com. Maybe. I believe so. Yeah. I'll, I'll double check right now as we're uh, conversing here. And uh, no, it is a very, it's a very good show. And he'll be covering a lot of the films, uh, kind of similar to what we cover, but a little bit more, I think. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, he's only done one episode, so I don't really want to say what they're going to be covering. But, I mean, they talked about Charles B. Pierce in the first film and on the first episode and stuff, and it was really, really good. And Mike knows, mm-hmm. his, Mike knows his stuff. He's a he's a movie geek from way back, a wrestling fan from way back. So he fits in pretty good with the GGTMC. <laughs> yeah. No, he totally does. Um, Him and Zom yeah. are demolition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we're the killer bees, as I said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's sundownpodcast.lipson.com. Nice, yes. And I'm sure uh, it might be available on iTunes by now. Sometimes the thing is with podcasting is you have to send your stuff into iTunes and they have to approve it. Because uh, when we did our first episode, it wasn't available for like a couple weeks. Or you can just go to, sorry, sundownpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and uh, Or you can get it from Podcast Alley. There's other ways to get it. I think I just downloaded it from sundownpodcast.com. So. Uh, yes, but it might be available on iTunes by the time I say this. I haven't checked, but it might be available for those of you that use iTunes. And judging by the stats, I've seen the majority of people use iTunes. So, yeah, you might want to look for it in there. So, uh, by the way, well, we're not we're not as big in Chicago now as we are in San Antonio. Now we're San Antonio is where we're big. Nice, interesting, <laughs> interesting. very nice. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, we've covered a few San Antonio set films. So nice. Maybe that has something to do with it. San I don't know. Antonio, it's really good. It's see good to see you. <laughs> Yes. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, that's that's that. We'll hear plenty from Rupert. He's got another interview I got uh, queued up. I'll uh, be publishing later this week. So 
more good stuff in the future from the Roop. Here we go. Next voicemail. Hey, what's up, guys? It's uh, Nick. I uh, <laughs> wanted to congratulate Samurai if you are back this week. Uh, congratulations to you and your wife on the baby. It's, I almost cursed and I'm not going to. Awesome, man. Good <laughs> for you guys. It was a trip reading that whole thing on Twitter, man. It was pretty awesome, man. I'm really happy for you guys. And if you're back this week, glad to have you back. And uh, Willie, too, man. Like, you did a great job keeping the show going. You're always cool, man. You, you did a great job, man. And Rupert and Piccolo and fucking Rupert again, man. Another good interview. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This guy's on fire. But you guys had some really good shows, man. And I really enjoyed the Abel Ferrara talk a lot. And uh, I'm a huge Abel Ferrara fan, and a, and uh, I guess leads to a quick question on one of his commentary tracks for Drilla Killer. He pretty much storms off at the ending of the commentary track because he gets pissed <laughs> off. It's not the right cut of the movie. I guess he wanted. <laughs> yes. And if my question is, I don't really listen to a lot of commentary tracks, so I just wanted to throw out there. I mean, maybe here. If you guys got any picks for favorite commentaries, I'd you know love to hear them and. Maybe same thing to Rupert or Piccolo, too. Um, I always, I got a lot of movies, but, you know, we all do. And I always watch the worst fucking ones. I don't know why. I, got, I don't know. I, like I watched the one for Deep Blue Sea, and it's fucking Samuel Jackson talking about he took the role because there was a golf course near the set. Yeah. And, and uh, Rennie Harlan just keeps comparing Deep Blue Sea to Jaws. It's, yeah. it's a really terrible uh, commentary. And, of course, it would be, you know. <laughs> So I'm just wondering if you guys had any good ones to recommend. Uh, good to have you guys back. All right. The Neck. And don't worry about it, uh, Neck. We haven't forgot about you uh, being on the show at some point in time. It's just, you know, scheduling and babies and God knows what else happening all the time. So we'll, we'll get you on here at some point. Uh, you got any favorite commentaries, buddy? Yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I guess I do. Uh, it's funny because he says about... Um, Having a lot of great films, watching a lot of garbage, not getting to as many commentaries as he like, as he would have liked to, and I feel the same way. I'd love to like listen to every commentary that I have, mm -hmm. good, bad, or ugly. Um, I just don't get around to it because I'm always trying to watch new films. But um, I like all of the Kurt Russell, John Carpenter ones. I think they're great. Uh, I think a lot of people would share that sentiment. They're just great. They, they, you can tell they're they're they have a genuine affection for each other. They're good friends. I even like the ones. Um, to give uh, to give her, uh, you know, one of the unsung heroes of uh, of John Carpenter's career, uh, Deborah Hill, uh, the late Deborah Hill. I like their commentaries together too. Uh, yep. Again, yep. commentaries he does with people. I got to open my door here. I got the juggernaut <laughs> trying to barge it down. Um, I just like their commentaries together. Um, yep. Oh hey. Is that for me? Thank <laughs> you. Um, other than that, um, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I would, you know. Even if you're even if you're to, to Google some of the uh, you know best film commentaries, I'm sure you'll find a few in there that appeal to you. Yes, yes, I have a bunch of favorites, but uh, I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head. Any, any of the Rennie Harlan ones are good, just because I love the way Rennie Harlan talks. <laughs> He's always like, "I was really trying to do something different with this movie," and uh, you know, he, he, I just love the way he talks. He's got a good one on Ford Fairlane as well, and uh, I'm not, I don't mean good as in good. I mean good as in B movie bad, but. Uh, his commentaries remind me of that I like all the John Carpenter ones. Um, I'm trying to think. Paul, Paul Verhoeven does great commentary, and uh, there's there's so many. Uh, 
Actually, I'll be honest with you. I probably wouldn't collect as many DVDs as I do if it wasn't for commentaries because I collect them with the intention of going back at some point and listen to the commentaries. <laughs> so oh, for sure. That's one of the reasons why I collect them. And I usually only buy special editions. I usually don't buy bare bones DVDs. Well, bare bones DVDs I buy a lot more often now because they're like two and three bucks. But uh, back in the day, I would never buy a bare bones uh, bare DVD. I would always wait for special editions and stuff. And I and I blame the Criterion Collection for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, for sure. It's uh, it, that's just it, man. I mean, and 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 I think you know you can kind of thank Criterion for that in general. With I think with laser discs, they started doing it. I mean, it's just nice to hear films. You know, you always want to know the context and the subtext and 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 everything surrounding films you enjoy. And it's just it's yeah. such a wonderful. Um, tool that I think a lot of people never even take advantage of. Well, the problem is now, and I, Rupert actually talked about this in one of his interviews. The problem is now is everybody does commentary, so there's a lot of there's a lot of non quality commentaries out there. It's become like it's become like films or like books themselves. I mean, so many people do it that now you got to weed out the good from the bad. Yeah, and uh, that that's just the way it goes. I mean, you know, anything's like that. When they first came out, all commentaries were awesome because it was just like, yeah, man, I get to hear John Carpenter or Martin Scorsese, who, by the way, Martin Scorsese does fantastic commentaries. If yeah. if you want to, you know, you'd have to weed. Now you got to weed them out. Now you got, uh, you know, Joe Blow who just directed this movie. And my least favorite type of commentaries are the room full of people commentaries. I actually hate those. I hate when you get like 15 people that were in the movie. Like I tell you, one's really bad is there's the Donnie Darko commentary. There's like Drew Barrymore, Jake Gyllenhaal, Richard Kelly, so and so, so and so, so and so, and so and so, and they can't. Ever, I can't understand what's going on because <laughs> everybody's laughing, everybody's talking, which is great for them, but it's not very good for me. Becomes a big circle jerk too. Yeah, yeah, and it gets a little ridiculous. But I like uh, you know I like when the director. I tell you, no one does a good commentary. He doesn't do them often enough. Is uh, Toby Hooper. Might be a reason why he doesn't do them often enough. I don't know if he's got a lot to say about some of his other films, but yeah, no kidding. Just Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two commentary, really good. All right, next voicemail. Pretty gentlemen, it's Mike from the podcast of Dreaded Sundown and Nightmare Theater. I just wanted to call in and say greetings to you, Large William, and welcome back, Big Daddy Sammy. It's nice to have you back, Big Daddy. Um, Last week's show, I just want to say again how much I enjoyed Pickle Loaf and Rupert uh, stepping in and doing the job that they did. They picked some great stuff last week. Cook uh, and Dagger is one of those movies that I think I've seen about a hundred times because it was on cable every five minutes when I was a yes. kid. And yes. uh, Tango and Cash, my goodness. What what a homoerotic mess that was, huh? Um, I do I did like Terry Hatcher like like you said she doesn't look like the zombie skeleton whatever she looks like now she that was back in before the Seinfeld days even when she said they're real and they're perfect you know she looked pretty hot back then the Lois and Clark kind of stuff um, anything else to tell you uh, I got to recommend a movie to you guys it's called Macabre it's from 1958 directed by William Castle it's one of those movies that Ruth laments all the time uh, that's not on DVD uh, I know he's there's lots of films that he talks about not on DVD this is one of them. Uh, it's a really interesting film about a, a guy who's hated in town because uh, he, he's a doctor and, he, and he's several of the wealthiest men in town's daughters have died and he's not been able to stop them from dying and everyone in town apparently hates him for this reason. There's a lot of melodrama in this thing, but the whole plot revolves around someone kidnapping his daughter and burying her alive. And so the whole movie is him trying to find his daughter. Really interesting, really creepy. Uh, it has Jim Backus playing a sleazy sheriff. He's really, really good. Mr. You know, this is all Mr. pre Howell. Mr. Howell and all nice. that stuff. But he's really just a sleazeball scumball. It's really <laughs> worth watching. If you can find a copy of it, I highly suggest it. 
Anyway, um, I'm going to plug my shit now, as Will says. Uh, <laughs> podcast is ready to sundown. Episode two is up. Interview with Bill Johnson and uh, John Duggan from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and 1, res- respectively. Uh, so that's up right now. And uh, Anyways, it's good to have you back, Sammy. Um, I'm looking forward to Throne of Blood, one of my favorite of all of Kurosawa's films. So Nice. Uh, I've rambled enough. Ciao. <laughs> nice. You dropped some uh, elegance there at the end with the chow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Macabre. You ever seen? I don't know. No, I've never seen it. I, this is one of those Castle films, William Castle films, that I've never got around to. Um, I've not either, but uh, I have uh, bookmarked it as one that I'm going to track down here. Nice. Nice, nice use of the word bookmark. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I mean, I'm, I'm very, ha- I'm very happy to be back. And uh, again, we talked about the podcast dress sundown. It's good stuff. Uh, looking forward to episode two. I haven't downloaded it yet, but looking forward to it. And that is again, that's one half of demolition there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next voicemail. Welcome back. Welcome back, Samurai. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Samurai. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Sammy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Sammy. Welcome back. Well, look, I'm not Doug Zom, so, you know, so it's the best you're going to get out of me. It's uh, Michael A., Yakuza with Sugar, just um, wishing, uh, welcoming Sammy back and um, um, uh, I hope you had a a, a great time off and uh, with your new child and I hope everything's doing great and... um, Piccolo and um, Rupert did an exemplary job uh, filling in your shoes. Um, so, you know, welcome back, and uh, can't wait to hear the show. Uh, Kurosawa and Johnny Toe. Oh, boy. It's uh, too good to be true. So, um, welcome back, Sammy. Adios. All right. Accuse him of sugar, or Michael A., as he likes to be called. Little, uh, there's a little welcome back, Cotter, for you in the beginning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's good to be back. I mean, that, that's I, I really don't know what else to say, man. I mean, I've been I've been dying to do this. I I hardly slept last night. I was so excited to do it. So it's really really good to be back. I was dying to do podcasting. I actually thought at some point last week I actually had some free time, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna call up Miles or somebody and just do some kind of bonus episode or something just to get the old cobwebs clear. Uh, but I think I think I'll do fine. I think I'll get it back under control pretty quickly as you can see we're already back to our old ways with feedback so yes <laughs> all right next voicemail gentlemen this is zeke from los angeles uh sammy i just wanted to be among the first to say welcome back and congratulations i believe with the uh new addition to your family and uh the coming addition to willie's family uh the gentleman's guide is the most virile podcast on the web you betcha um but uh, in your absence, uh, Loaf and um, Big Bob Freelander uh, continue to take that shit to the bowl along with Big Willie. So, as I'm sure you heard, I can't wait to uh, hear your review of Throne of Blood. 
one of my favorite uh, Kurosawa films. And uh, just that, that last sequence and, and Mufugi's face during that last sequence, you could tell he did not expect a few of those arrows to land where they were supposed to. I believe that's actually <laughs> one of the reasons why uh, Mifune and uh, Kurosawa had a falling out. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, every uh, <laughs> just wanted to say every month at uh, my place, I do a what I call exploitation celebration, where I do a couple of you know, uh, exploitation films, and I show them double feature style where I program a whole night of trailers and everything, and I do it like Grindhouse, but, you know, it's real Grindhouse-style movies. And uh, Throne of Blood is definitely on my list this summer to show, along with uh, Switchblade Sisters for their Shakespearean themes. But um, nice. enough about me. Uh, it's good to hear that uh, I'm actually, I have not heard you back yet, but uh, <laughs> it will be good to hear you back, and I will see you guys, or talk to you guys, Yep. Good old Zeke. Uh, that's an interesting double bill. Switchblade Sisters and Throne of Blood. Nice. Nice choices. Yeah, that's a great double bill. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you probably heard more about our conversation with Throne of Blood when we talked about it, so we'll good than that. But it is good to be back. And yes, we are the most virile uh, with uh, uh, semen like Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> Thick and jelly like. <laughs> hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> Oh, yes. Like head cheese, man. <laughs> That's going back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> some, some kind words from Zeke. Yes, Zeke. Zeke, so thank you very Zeke. much. Thanks, Zeke. Nice. All right, next voicemail. Well, hello, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is Metal Mikey leaving in a voicemail. It's been a while. Sorry, guys. Uh, shit's been happening in my life, and I'm just like, uh, I can't up any effort to do anything but I did want to leave some feedback on the, this Miss of the Gift episode and I must give my full compliments to Piccolo yet again and Rupert for delivering the thunder and the lightning as guest hosts on the show <laughs> yeah, and brother. yeah brother you know out of the two movies you've covered now like you, William, I'm not terribly well versed in WC fields, and the only exposure I've had, he got cut Metal off. Mike. He got cut off, so he had to call back. So this is the second one here. He again got cut off, bastard phone. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, haven't really had much exposure to WC fields, but the movie discussed on this particular show, I do really want to give a shot to, and I have seen Miss Forty Five once in my life. But haven't really returned to it. I think that was during my period where I was just trying stuff out on a whim, but didn't really appreciate it. I think maybe now I may have a better appreciation of Miss 45, so I'm definitely giving it another shot. And I don't know if anybody else noticed this. I hope nobody thought I was supremely kissing ass for it, but holy crap, my ad was played twice on the show. God, you know what? Even I don't even think that much of action tracks. It's sort of like the red-headed bastard stepchild of the podcasting community. I didn't hear that. So here my ad being played twice in one episode, I'm just like, wait, what? But anyways, everybody involved in the show is doing a great job. I hope all is well with Rick being a new daddy. And yeah, all that other jazz. So I will talk to you again later. All right, take it easy, friends, and catch you later. Bye. I don't recall that being played twice in the episode. Do you? Neither do I. And if it did, and it could have, because I can be a bit of a fucking idiot sometimes. With all due respect, Mikey. Um, I even I'm looking at the list. I tried to write down what I played on each episode: FMN, OTC, Big Red, Show Show V, Cinema Action Attraction, Cinerama Meltdown, CVP, 
a Miller Zombie CD, movies about girls. So I don't think I played it twice, but <laughs> I, I, don't did, re- I don't recall it. But I, who knows? Yeah, it was our pleasure. <laughs> it was. Uh, Here you do, Arnold. Yes. Uh, you know, he says during his period when he was trying stuff out. I think that might go back to the Vaseline talk. It, it might very well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> when he was a young wee lad in college. Yes, his experimental days. <laughs> he does have a lot of familiarity with wet men in action movies. So Yes. <laughs> it's good to be back, Mikey. Uh, <laughs> and if he's experimenting, he might have been making his own action movies. <laughs> yeah, he needs, to check, he needs to check out an action movie I watched while I was on hiatus. Uh, David Pryor's uh, uh, Hell on the Battleground. He needs to check that out. Pretty good, pretty masculine and ridiculous. I'll talk about more in the intro. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, next voicemail. Chairman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bringing class to trash since 1977. December 24th, 1977. <laughs> this is Dr. Why, why, why Christmas Eve? <laughs> Just got done watching a uh, plethora of Jim Van Beber short films. Oh, nice. And uh, I must say that I admire uh, the, uh, you know, the guys getting together, uh, putting some of this stuff together, and, uh, you know, hey, you know, their creativity. Uh, I kind of learned about him uh, by watching the uh, Manson movie uh, that took uh, about uh, 72 years to <laughs> yeah. finish. Yeah, it did. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, the short movies, um, the you know, there were some of them that were a little bit too uh, gross for me. Uh, but what are you going to do? <clears throat> That's what he was going for. And, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he succeeded. Um the one about the last days of John Martin or whatever the hell that thing was called, Roadkill, that was pretty gross. Uh, but did get to see some uh, nice boobies that uh, uh, young boobies that I uh, remember from the Manson movie. Nice. Of course, they were behind chicken wire. But what are you going to do? Anyway, the best uh, boobs are usually behind chicken wire. Uh, the other yes. ones. That's uh, the one. <clears throat> Stoner or Doper. I'm sorry, Stoner Doper. Uh, it was probably the best one of all, just for the simple fact that I thought it was an actual documentary, and he was following some of his, uh, you know, uh, stoner friends around. And then I read that it was actually a, uh, you know, uh, a work. It was not real. And if it wasn't, it sure as hell was pretty damn good because I thought it was. Anyway, uh, this is a last-second thing. I don't even know if I'm going to make the show because I forgot. I'm waiting to the last second, having some problems with the Mopadope. Uh, <laughs> dog seems like he's uh, he perked up there a little bit, so, you know, we're just uh, crossing our fingers and, uh, you know, holding our breaths and everything. So, uh, anyway, that's about it for this week, so I'm going to sign off now. <laughs> and uh, welcome back to Samurai. Welcome back to Samurai. Is there something wrong with one of his dogs? Yeah, Mopadope's pretty, pretty sick. Oh, that's a shame. So I, yeah, you know, our our sympathies. Uh, yeah, certainly, I know you absolutely yep. concur with me on this. Sympathies go to to the Zom and the Mope and and the Chief Dan George. Or the, what does he call him? The Chief Dan Chief Dan, Dan Fogelberg. 
Yeah, Chief Dan Fogelberg. That's right. So, yeah. so you know, our sympathies go to them, and hopefully, the Mopadope will be back to Mopadoping at full speed very, very quickly. Yeah, hopefully. Yep. Uh, no, it's good to be back. And uh, Van Bieber, yeah, he's my, he's a very interesting guy. He's actually a. I would actually argue that he's a more interesting guy than he is a filmmaker. Uh, he's a he's a pretty good filmmaker. He's not a great filmmaker, but he's a terribly, terribly interesting fellow, to say the least. He's not as good a filmmaker as he thinks he is, but uh, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you know, that's okay. He's gotten a lot of. I think he's his head's swollen up because a lot of people have told him that he's great, and I think they only told him he's great because you know he's he's very, you know, he's very kitchen sink when it comes to his filmmaking. So yeah, the heart's in the right place. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, sometimes his ego <laughs> is as big as his last name. All right, uh, yes. one, one more Zom voicemail here. P.S. John Vernon rules, and Bob Backlund <laughs> sucks dick. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I just say I love the the snort <laughs> fart even more than uh, I like the, he he needs to keep the snort fart. <laughs> oh man, I almost snorted laughing there. <laughs> <laughs> I almost farted laughing there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that would have been a good combo. The tag yes. team is back. Yes, we, we are snorting fart. Yes, the <laughs> the band is back. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, next voicemail. Hi, guys. It's 42nd Street here in the UK. Um, first off, congratulations to Sam Wright and to his wife. Um, hope everything's okay. Send the best. Just phoning to give feedback on the last two shows you did. Um, excellent shows, by the way. First on Ferrara. Um, big fan. Nice to see uh, you guys were appreciative of Ms. 45. Certainly top three Ferrara for me, along with um, the Bad Lieutenant and King of New York which deserved more props, by the way. On the subject of Caruso in it, um, I completely disagree. I think he was absolutely superb in King of New York. Um, indeed, he's always excellent under Ferrara's direction, and uh, that tends to be forgotten with all the criticism of his um, leaving LAPD blue thing um, <laughs> and um, his cheese-tastic antics in um, CSI Miami. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, people tend to forget how good he can actually be and especially under Ferrara's direction even in average films like China Girl he's very good and um, Ferrara's superb um, pilot for the equally superb um, crime story TV show um, he's absolutely excellent in that as well so Ferrara seems to bring the best out in Caruso and I thought Caruso and the sadly late but ever wonderful Victor Argo were the unsung heroes of him. Um, King of New York. I thought he did excellent work despite being up against um, such a fantastic cast and um, the godlike Christopher Walken. On to Miss 45. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. Um, great thoughts on it. Um, never really saw it as a rape revenge film, uh, rape vigilante movie, but even that gets subverted um, where she basically becomes the bad guy. Her dementia is just so deep that um, she basically becomes what a vigilante would target, um, as kind of happens during the finale, where, in a way, the baton is passed. Um, I always thought it was, I assume, intentional, seen as the late Zoe Lund um, wrote it as well, or at least part of it, that all the talk about her looking so good in the nun's outfit, which is true, um, actually is quite a clever thing, because at this point in the film where she's basically targeting any man who looks at her to dress her up as this kind of like um, fetish 
po- poster girl, and it is a fine poster, which everyone says, oh, she's so hot as a nun. Um, the audience basically becomes the very people she would shoot in the face, which I think is at least the male part of the audience becomes those that she would kill for thinking of it in that way, which I think is quite a good little subversion there. Okay, guys, you take care now. Bye-bye. Hi. He called, he called again, so I got another voicemail go here. All right, uh, we'll go over a couple things he said in that one first, though. Um, I think he was the one, yeah, we think he was the one that wrote in and said something about uh, outgrowing films. I think he was the one when I, when I was yes, out. Yes. I think he was, yes. And I think he might have took that the wrong way. I think he might have took that as in, uh, I, I hate the films now. That's not the case. I think uh, it's more like it just doesn't interest me as much. I still think the film's valuable for what it is, but I just don't think that... Uh, you know, for me, it's not. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? For me, it's not something I actually pursue for entertainment anymore. I still think the film has its value, though. I think it's a, what I think uh, he might have gotten mixed up on there. Uh, I really don't have anything else to add to that one. I do like Abel Ferrara, uh, I, and I should have said this in the com- when uh, Nick called about the commentary. I think what I like about Abel Ferrara is I really honestly believe, and I've said this. I think I watched a documentary on him. And I said on the show a while back that I really honestly believe the guy is uh, certifiably insane. Yeah, or close to it. He's a little off balance, to and, say the least. And I like that, that he is, and that he gets to make movies and stuff, because it makes his movies a little bit more interesting. I mean, you can say what you want to say about Ferrara, and I know you'll have some things to say about King of New York here in a second, but you you cannot argue that, and nobody can argue this with me, I don't care who they are, that he's not an original voice when it comes to filmmaking. So, love him or hate him, at least he's original. I, I can give him that. Now, he has made some films that I don't think are that original. He's made some really bad movies, actually, but that's okay. I like that he makes good movies and bad movies. Actually, he hasn't made a good movie in a while, so I like that he, uh, you know, he's all over the map, and uh, his matter, his output is questionable sometimes, but uh, he, he does have a couple that I think are, or at least one that I honestly think is a masterpiece. Uh, so... Uh, what, uh, you want to say something about King of New York? I know you you always you always take a, you always take a beating on King of New York. Yeah, I think you've been taking a beating on this film since I've known that's, you. <laughs> that's okay because I'm not the one that's wrong when it comes to King of New York. I'm right. So there. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I, I will retract my Caruso statement. I do think that when I was had sort of criticized him in the film, mm-hmm. um, that was a bit of uh, just the whole Caruso legacy that was seeping into my opinion of him in the film because when right. I thought about it afterwards I was unfairly unfairly critical I do think he was very he was fine in the film uh, but I do I will always stand by my words that it's a loud dumb film that is grossly overrated mm. grossly overrated it's not even in the top three or four Ferrera films so respectfully sir <laughs> I believe you're the one that is wrong but that's okay <laughs> yeah. I mean you know we can uh, we can agree to disagree on it I like it a little bit more than you, but not much. I'd probably give oh, it. Fuck. I'd probably give it like a. I don't know. I'd probably be in the sixes somewhere. But it's basically just because of walking, and uh, I do like Caruso yes. in it. I agree with you. When you actually when you said that last week, the Caruso's all over the top and stuff. I was like, well, wait a minute. I was actually sitting there thinking, talking to myself. I was like, actually, Caruso's pretty reserved in that one compared to what we know him as now. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there's a great scene with him and walking. Actually, my favorite scene in the movie is uh, all I'll say is uh, you know walking uh, comes up to him and says hey. <laughs> that's all he says. Oh, yes, it's it's uh, at uh, a service. Yes, yes, yes. It's a yes, fantastic yes, yes. scene. It's got a lot of great scenes in it, but you're right. It is a little loud and stuff. And I know that at the time, all I can say about King of New York is we'll probably never cover it on the show. But all uh, unless somebody requests it, uh, 
all I can say about it is I know that, uh, you know, it was at the very beginning of the gangster rap, uh, very, very, very beginning of the gangster rap phase. And, uh, you know, uh, Ferrara, for some strange reason, got into gangster rap. I, I don't know. He, he's, he's a weird dude, man. And, uh, you know, he got into that whole lifestyle and stuff. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a white guy from New York trying to, you know, kind of get that. It, it makes it unique. But, again, I can understand why some people love it. Some people hate it. I can understand that. I saw that on VHS back in the day. A friend of mine was like, "You got to see this movie. It's insane." And I, was, I thought, "You know, it's good. But it's not. It's not insane." And then I saw Bad Lieutenant, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he called back. Here we go. Hey guys, it's Forty Second Street here from the UK. Also, let me add that Miss Forty Five. I did not see. I, I mean, I have seen, but I was not on that show. Uh, it, I liked his. Uh, he came up with a good plan there. That you know, he's kind of pointing the gun at the audience. I kind of like that. That's a, that's a good point he brought up. Oh, yeah. The way, you know, it's kind of invasive that way. All right. Recent show, um, excuse my not knowing what the Mexican biker film was called, um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> unbelievable. Again, so, like you said, um, a shame that these films aren't better known and get a better distribution. Um, it seems, judging by what you said about the punk, seeing um, those clothes and that hair in high def would be... I think indeed. <laughs> Your eyes will probably explode. Um, but that sounds absolutely brilliant. So kudos for um, highlighting this, and uh, I'm going to have a look around for it, see if I can find it. As for Deadly Eyes, I don't think I missed it. I may have tuned out, but I don't think so. How could one tune out of a gentleman? Um, I don't believe you mentioned that it was based on a novel um, called The Rats by James Herbert. Um, they took two or three of the um, situations set pieces from the novel the cinema the subway and the toddler and the main guy was a school teacher but basically that's all they kept oh and of course rat <laughs> in the novel um the rats were large but not that large just larger than normal um set in 70s london because that's when it was written and it is quite simply one of the finest um, extreme, straight-ahead Paul Palmer novels you'll read. It's just brilliant. Um, fantastic work. And the film... I did own the film many years ago. Um, I wish I still had it. Uh, but I think I disliked it because I loved the book so much. Sorry? I loved the book so much. Um, as such, the film was a letdown. But, um, yeah, it's fun for what it is. But if you can pick up the novel, they, it was also followed by two sequels, Lair, not quite as good, more grotesque even, um, and Domain, which is an epic after-the-apocalypse film um, that involves the rats appearing again. Um, nice mix, very clever mix of genres there. But Rats, yeah, just excellent movie. Um, movie. Excellent book. Um, well worth tracking down as it's much nastier than the film. It's got fantastic descriptive parts which really add to the atmosphere yeah all round great pulp novel horror book and uh, oh god my words are getting all twisted there you go anyway <laughs> so try that um i think that's about it i'll put my teeth back in and um just saying <laughs> congratulations again and uh, love the show keep it up and thanks again for some really good discussions and for picking out some obscure films which uh, i'd love to track down okay all right, that was it. Uh, and thanks for calling in. I hope you don't think that we were on him about King of New York. We were not. I, we want him to keep calling in. And make oh, sure, yeah. And make sure, you know, he always has your opinion. Because I, I can't stand it when people agree with us all the time. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I mean, you know, it's one thing to manufacture dissent. But if you don't agree, hey, we want to know. I mean, 
And I had uh, no idea Deadly Eyes was based on a novel. I mean, come on. There's some movies that, you know, I say, oh, that's based on a novel. But fucking Deadly Eyes, give me a break. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought Roop mentioned it was based on a novel. Uh, maybe maybe, he did. maybe, maybe it, it was off the air. Maybe. I don't know. Um, it all this blend, movie it, you talked it, about. Sorry, Sammy, I cut you off again. Go ahead. No, it, it, it's saying it all blends together after a while. <laughs> Much like a rat milkshake. Um, <laughs> speaking of rats and post-apocalypse, uh, this one, Domain, sounds pretty good. Uh, that's a winning combination, post-apocalypse. Remind me, remind and, me uh, off the air to send you a link to something I just discovered. Yes. Oh, so Very interesting. Mr. Mr. 42nd Street. Um, Domo arigato, and we hope to hear from you soon. Yes, and that is all of our feedback. Massive gay. Yep. It wouldn't be the GGTMC if I didn't come back with an hour and 15 minutes of feedback. <laughs> if you didn't come back with the length and girth, baby. That's right, and the Vaseline, evidently. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm stretching. Nice. I mean, not your stretching. I'm just saying nice about the length of the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have a, a Taibo fetish. Uh. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, it's not a Taibo fetish as much as it's a Billy, uh, a Billy Blanks fetish. I mean, Tai Chi, not Billy Blanks. I was thinking of I have Mr. a Billy Blanks. Blank. I do have a Blanks fetish. <laughs> Apparently, I have a, an African-American male who knows martial arts with a Gumby haircut fetish. <laughs> Oh, we got to do some blanks on the show soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he wears those stupid sniper-looking Oakley sunglasses too, many, too much for <laughs> any man to wear. <laughs> oh, he wears a lot of bad stuff. He wears hammer pants, too, in a lot of his films. <laughs> yeah. He's probably got Zubaz hammer pants, man. No, that guy. Fuck, he's bad. He's not a fashion plate, that's for sure. <laughs> no, he's not. He is not. <laughs> Oh, okay. So we got some pleasantries uh, you want to talk about? <laughs> yes. Can I just say something I've been meaning to say to you in private on the air because I know I'll forget again. Yeah. Sammy, I don't know if when you were here, did you notice that we have milk in bags? Uh, when, I, when I was up there? Yeah. Yes, I did notice that. Yeah, we have bagged milk and I, I didn't know anyone didn't have bagged milk, but you guys do not have bagged milk, correct? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, we typically buy it in the cartons because we like to destroy the environment. Uh, the, the, yeah. the plastic jugs. Well, I don't. Think, I don't know if those plastic bags are any good either. But it's almost like a bladdery kind of bag, and we put it in a milk container. And I, I didn't know it was a Canadian thing, but yeah, there's milk in bags in the house now. But that's because there's a child in the house. Yes. But yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. And also, Kim Kardashian might be. Has there ever been a woman who's? For me, anyway, or for whose hotness is absolutely inversely proportional to how reprehensible she is as a human being. <laughs> she is a hideous person. Uh, actually, the yeah. one show my wife watches that I cannot stand is The Kardashians. Yeah, I hate her, but I can't deny that. I was just looking at her in a bathing suit. Uh, if I can sound piggish <laughs> for a moment, I was like, good Lord, I wish you weren't such a fucking <laughs> dirtbag. <laughs> Wouldn't feel so horrible about it. I sent you that link, by the way. Yes, I see that. Uh, I duly noted, and thank you. But let me get into our um, our pleasantries. Now, uh, we've recently teamed up with omg-entertainment.com. Good friend Martin, that's his website, uh, based in Holland. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about this too much together, Sammy, on the air, obviously, since this is your first show back. Um, essentially, Martin is going to be um, a partner slash vendor who's affiliated with us. Um, he's going to have a promo code up. I believe the promo code is going to be GGTMC. I'll have to look into our, you know what, let me see if I can do this while we're on the air here. Um, 
Let me just see. <laughs> Expand all. Uh, in any event, uh, his website, um, he sells a lot of great stuff that we cover on the show. Um, he's put together a list of films that we've covered uh, on the show that you can you can take a look at if you're looking to find into it. And in fact, there's a GGTMC tab on his page. Yep. Um, a lot of great stuff. I mean, he's a fantastic guy. Like I said, he's got uh, some great stuff that only gets releases in Europe and not here. Uh, he's got a, a potentially a 44% off Raro video sale, and they put out some fantastic Eurocrime films. Um, so go take a look at the website. It's omg-entertainment.com, and uh, take a look at the region codes for his stuff because it does, in fact, uh, a lot of it is region coded. But he has a lot of region one stuff. Um, the promo code is GGTMC and the number 10. So that's going to apply for all orders above 20 pounds. Is it, o- is it oh, okay, I got the, uh, is it the, o- is it omg-entertainment.com or .nl? .com. Okay, okay, okay just make sure. Yes, uh, and it's some great stuff. I mean, admittedly, I think some of the stuff might be a bit pricey for some people, but a lot of stuff's insanely cheap. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's on sale that's just incredible, so... He sells everything. He sells smut. He sells action movies. He sells T-shirts, Blu-rays, basically everything that you, as a genre fan, would want. That, um, that uh, versions of the Seven Seas looks fucking amazing. Oh yeah, he's got a two-disker of Milano Calibro Nine. Nice. Uh, there's a Mondo Mondo Cane Oggi, which uh, Oggi means today in Italian. Uh, so I, it, it looks like a pretty cool cover, but. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, he sells a lot of stuff. I mean, the Red Riding trilogy, all that stuff. It's, it's a lot of you know overseas stuff. Yeah, and a lot of the sites in English. I mean, there's some of it that's Dutch, but you know, nonetheless, uh, take a look, guys. We're going to be paired up with them. We're going to be covering films time to time that Martin sends us that he thinks would interest our listeners. I know one he wants us to cover is one called Amsterdamed. So yeah, yeah. yeah there's uh, there's that. Um, as well, Sammy and I are both going to be at Horror Hound Weekend in Cincinnati in November. Mm-hmm. So. For me, it's uh, for me. The advertisement will be and one day only. <laughs> yes, and I'm going to try to make it two days. We'll see how it goes. Yep. I'm going to be with uh, a Sasquatch from Newfoundland uh, <laughs> nice. on my trip, so <laughs> it's going to be quite good. Nice. nice. Uh, we want you all to be there. If you guys can make it, it's going to be a blast. We're going to get some drinks. I'm going to try to bring at least a copy of Lady Terminator so we can maybe watch it in in the room with a couple of people. We'll see. How I'm going to I'm going to bring my I'm going to bring my laptop so we might do an, like an impromptu uh crazy webcast uh like cop podcast type thing. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun guys. We hope to see you guys there. I mean, I, I you know, respectfully to the celebrities, I know Sammy feels the same way. I could care less. It's about meeting up with everyone, all of our friends and people that dig the show and dig what we do. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's in November. Um sister shows, I've heard rumors that Show Show is recording or has recorded, so hopefully they'll get an episode up soon. It is out. Wicked Gay, uh, OTC, CD, Family Movie Night, Movie Meltdown, Chin Stroker vs. Punter, uh, nice. all of the pop syndicate shows, including the dulcet tones of our hostess with the mostess, the voice of the show, Alyssa, Big Red Podcast, uh, all the other pop syndicate shows. There's a lot of great stuff over there. Um, there is uh, Paleo Cinema, of course. Good friend Terry's show, Cinecultania, Cinerama, Action Attraction for all your chest hair talk and sweaty <laughs> leatherman talk. Nice. Better in the Dark, V Cinema. I know John's over here in Toronto for the Shinsite Film Festival. We're going to get together for a drink. Uh, should be some good times. Nice. Destroy the Brain. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Girls on Film Radio Podcast, The Gore Press Gorecast, The Glee Cast, and of course, 
do you one have, half of demolition. Do you have the? Yeah, you almost thought for a second that you had those in alphabetical order. All the G's were all together. Oh yeah, no, if I know it's true. That's bizarre. The podcast that dreaded sundown with John R. Hand. Yes. And either axe or smash. Um, good friend Mike. Uh, actually, they they fancy themselves more road warriors, but uh, in any event, um, they they can fancy my, themselves that all the time. I still fancy them demolition with the <laughs> the Kool Aid tongues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Parasinema.net for our favorite NYC couple who I heard is recording something. So very yeah, interesting. I was uh, Twitter talking with uh, Twitter talking. You like that? I was doing that with. Uh, Dylan the other night, and uh, he was having some microphone issues, so it sounds like there might be some recording. <laughs> yes, that is muy excelente. Let me just say, let me just add, I'm looking through uh, Martin's website here. The European cover for Stage Fright is fucking amazing. I think I saw that. Let me take a look here. It's under the GGTMC tab. Was it? Yes. It's fucking amazing. While I'm looking that up, let me also say nightmaretheater.blip.tv and horrorcommentary.com. Bloggies, we have, um, of course, The Loaf, pickleloaf.blogspot.com, uh, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, uh, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Rach on Film, Lightning Bugs Lair, Naked Eskimo, This Is Quiet Cool, Heaven's Trash, Uncool Cat, who I'm also going to be meeting up with Vishnu and him to see Hosu next week. Very nice. stoked for that nice, on nice. the big screen. Uh, a good friend of the show, Bill's Big Suck Loser, Death Rattle 13, uh, Sergio Leone and the infield fly rule, and of course, Funky 16 Corners, and you heard our track of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cinema Day Bazaar, it's coming in two weeks' time. Finally, the CDB will be back on the GGTMC. Podcast Alley, we're taking a beating. I mean, someone's got to step up, like Laura Brannigan. No, it wasn't Laura Brannigan that's saying I need, to, he need a hero, was it? Um, Bonnie Tyler? Bonnie no. Tyler, yes. Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> like Bonnie Tyler said, we need a hero on Podcast Alley, so... Someone get up there and uh, and get into it for us. Uh, podcast, or excuse me, iTunes reviews. Friend us both on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Twitter.com backslash uh, GGTMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Freelander. You like that? I didn't add the big this time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> big Bob Freelander. And Pickle of 10. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, donate to the show uh, if you choose to do so. Yeah, please, please do. Uh, we are actually, the coffer is getting empty, and uh, we like to pay, pay for the show. It, pay, it doesn't pay for itself. So if any yes. help you can give us, please, we would appreciate it. Shingle arrows are appreciated. Uh, email, are you playing the outro with uh, Alyssa saying this stuff? or? Uh, no, I'm playing the actually the Funky 16 track game because it's just fucking badass. Right, right, right. Email, to, uh, no, that's not email, is it? Email is M-I-D-N-I-T-E-Cinema at gmail.com. Voicemail is 206 666 Five two zero seven. Yes, Stage Fright does have an excellent. That's insane looking. I love that cover. It'd be a great poster to have in the room. Oh yeah. So there you have it, kids. Another episode in the in the books. Yep. Uh, we yep. do have to talk about recovering next week, which um, is something that uh, Sammy. I don't know if if you want to do this next week or the week after. Uh, the no, episode we're good. For Brian. We're, we're good. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it we're, next. We've been meaning to do it forever, so let's do it. Yes. Way back, um, Mr. Brian Higgins, uh, our good friend from Northern Ireland. Um, should I say his last name on the air? Uh, I don't think he'll mind. Okay. But I could always uh, edit it out, but I don't think he'll mind. He, he did something uh, very, very incredible uh, around Christmas. Um, 
that he wanted to pass along. I just said, anyone who does charity work, blah, 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 episode of the show. We're going to do a, a Trillo GGTMC. Uh, it's going to be the Alan Clark collection. It's sort of his youth, troubled youth collection uh, with Scum with a very young Ray Winston. Uh, made in England, I believe it is, uh, which is Tim Roth and The Firm with Gary Oldman. So it's going to be a Trillo GGTMC next week mm-hmm. and uh, should be some, some good talk. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen these and I cannot wait. Yeah, me too. So it's going to be fun. All right, so that's what we're doing next week. Uh, I think that's everything we got this week. We're going to play out this funky 16 track again you heard earlier in the show. Uh, I guess with that, I'll say adios. Adios. Now we just got to wait for the music to play. There we go.